0: Hey, Hey, it's Conrad Thompson. And you're listening to something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard.
1: Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Absolutely wonderful. Just another beautiful day in the neighborhood.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear that because we survived Colorado Springs. No, thanks to, uh, Josh, the dick dancer, but that's a story for another day. Instead, let's circle back and talk about all the fun we're going to have today when we cover. Sid, I can't believe that Sid lost this many polls and it finally happened. Even
1: this time, I thought Zuna was going to edge him out. Are you surprised Sid finally won? I really was. And he only won by 1%, but he won. So good for him. And it's, we'll get this one out of the way and we'll get Yoko. Eventually he'll be on more polls. Oh,
0: I, I don't like the way you said that. We'll get this one out of the way. I'm going to take my time on Sid. This is a guilty pleasure. I'm fired up about this one. One of my favorite performers as a kid but I'm sure you had a different experience. What was your feedback though, from last week's experience, where we broke down a Royal rumble that the WWE will never talk about 2004.
1: Well, I personally, everything I got back, I think people enjoyed the way that we went back and kind of dissected it. And I was, I don't know why, because it was one of my favorite pay-per-views, but I was shocked at how many people said that it was their favorite, uh, Royal rumble of all time and that was shocking but i thought that was pretty cool too
0: yeah i think a lot of people really enjoy it but it is one of those deals where because benoit wins you're like uh i'll just say 92 but for me i've always really enjoyed 97 but 92 and 2004 certainly on the list probably my top three royal rumbles and hopefully uh this weekend's royal rumble makes the list as well but what should be on your list this weekend is coming to see bruce and i man. we're back on the road again we're going to be in Phoenix, Arizona on Sunday, right before the Royal rumble, but we get our weekend started in San Diego and we're on a tour here, the world-famous Madhouse comedy club, Saturday, January 26, 2 PM. It's a matinee show and tickets are on sale now at brucepritchard.com. And of course, right before the Royal rumble, basically across the street from the stadium, come see Bruce and I it's Sunday afternoon. Another matinee show, January 27th in Phoenix. Tickets, of course, brucepritchard.com. but then we make our Atlanta debut next week, February 2nd. It finally happens. It's Saturday, the day before the super bowl. I'm fired up about it. And I know we're going to have fun with your old pal, Eric Bischoff on March 1st at the Mohegan sun in Connecticut. And of course, crown point, Indiana on March 9th, Cleveland, Ohio on March 10th. Later in March, you're going to be in all over Australia. Tickets for all of these shows are available right now at brucepritchard.com. And this week we finalized the first of what will be multiple shows, WrestleMania weekend. Stay tuned to our social media. We're probably going to have some big news over the weekend or first of next week at Pritchard show on Twitter. Uh, Is it fair to say that the conversation we had is going to have a lot of people on the internet sort of scratching their heads and asking questions?
1: They're going to be saying, huh? But I think that they're really going to love it, and it's something to be excited about. Because we'll give you a little tease. We're partnering up with some folks for WrestleMania weekend on several different levels and times. So that should be a whole hell of a lot of fun. And if you're a fan of something to wrestle with, then by God, you're going to get plenty of opportunities to come and see us and enjoy us. On WrestleMania weekend,
0: and we're trying to make it to where you don't have to pick. You don't have to sacrifice something else in order to come see us. We're trying to be convenient for you, and uh, one of these things, we're gonna have some people talking. Let's get some people talking today, though, man. Let's talk about Sid, the Ruler and the Master of the World. Uh, Sid Udy was born on December 16, 1960, in West Memphis, Arkansas. Of course, Memphis is the home of Elvis and Jerry Lawler.
1: Uh, When did you first meet Sid? I met Sid in Alabama. I believe it was Dothan, Alabama, to be exact, for Continental Wrestling. My brother Tom was wrestling in the Continental Wrestling Federation, and Sid was also wrestling there as Lord Humongous. Eddie Gilbert was the booker, and it was the first time that I ever met Sid, as well as uh, Happy Heyman, Paul Heyman. It was Paulie dangerously at the time.
0: It's funny because I think a lot of people sort of assume that Sid really wasn't on the scene until he was in the NWA and WCW, but Lord Humongous, described that look of that character and that gimmick because it was, uh, I don't know that it was necessarily unique to Alabama because they did it in Memphis as well, but it was very much uh, a Southern take, if you will.
1: Yeah, it was, and, and it's funny that it didn't, expand beyond that. We had it in the mid South with Jeff van camp who actually did the gimmick first in continental. And he was from Pensacola, Florida and he was the best Lord humongous of the whole group. But it came from the movie, uh, the road warrior with Mel Gibson. And there was a character in there, Lord humongous who wore a white hockey mask and kind of had some leather garments across his chest and that was Lord humongous. He was impervious to pain, but it was also the first time. And I stole this from Jeff Van camp, uh, that I saw the sit up and it, it came from the Friday or uh, Halloween movies with Michael Myers that outs. The guy's out and then he does the sit up and does the quick head snap. And the first guy I ever saw do that was Jeff Van camp as humongous when he was working with Jake, the snake Roberts in a cage match. And the audience reaction to that was like, Oh, holy shit. And they got it. And it was just so cool. That is cool. Uh, Let's talk about the beginning. Yeah. I think,
0: uh, you can look at Sid and tell, uh, that boy's an athlete. Well, he planned to play professional football. He had received a scholarship to Memphis state and he was an offensive lineman. And his goal was to, uh, play ball long enough to get an NFL contract because he got married young, had a baby on the way. But as he's working out one day, he runs into a couple of guys who are working in the Memphis area, uh, an outlaw promotion, if you will, the Poffo brothers, Lanny and Randy. And of course they see this specimen and have a conversation with him. And Macho convinces him you can make a lot more money in professional wrestling than you can in college football. And this is obviously a different era. And I think some younger fans probably hear that and think, huh? Because you hear about these outrageous NFL contracts, but that was not the case
1: back then. Right, Bruce? No, man. They were like 35,000 to a hundred, a guy on the high end. Uh, alignment and what have you they're making a hundred thousand dollars a year in the nfl so it it was not something that it was good money for the time but it's nothing as compared to what you hear about today and in wrestling if you're wrestling on a steady steady basis if you're a mid to top guy you could easily make a thousand dollars a week um in the wrestling business now that's half but if you get to be a real top guy and you start drawing money somewhere you can make a whole hell of a lot more money than that yeah
0: absolutely you know you see some of these canceled checks from you know old promoters that have gotten leaked out where you see uh brody made you know fifty nine hundred dollars against Flair for one night and you know with inflation that's a boatload of cash now so it gives you a, a sort of a peek into maybe what was possible especially for a guy that size because a guy like sid you know if he's worth a dern, probably not In the popcorn match, right?
1: He's going to be an attraction. He's going to be somebody that the audience is going to look at. And when they leave, they're going to say, you remember that big son of a bitch. He just has that look. He always has had that look. And that was what made him special.
0: So eventually Randy hooks it up with a guy named Tojo Yamamoto. There's a name from back in the day. Tojo was a heel in the Tennessee area for a long time and been a mainstay there. Uh, even here in Huntsville, uh, I hear a lot of, of old school wrestling fans who tell me about the time they saw Tojo here in town, but going back to the fifties, he's been a mainstay and he helps train Sid. Uh, he also trained guys like the moon dogs and Jackie Fargo and Bobby Eaton and Tommy Rich. Uh, and ultimately we wound up losing Tojo in 1992, but after a training session here, um, it's time to, uh, to get going and actually get in the ring, what was the reputation that Tojo had in the wrestling business, especially as a trainer?
1: I think it wasn't a big reputation, frankly. It it was in the South. If you came from Memphis and you could get in to have Tojo train you, then that was an entryway into the Memphis territory and kind of those Southern territories. There wasn't anybody that was a go-to trainer in the day you were lucky if you would find somebody that would open the door and take you in and actually show you the ropes and train you for any length of time uh tojo was the guy in tennessee nick kozak was the guy in texas and around the country in tampa you had eddie um jesus why am i blank um Eddie Graham in Florida. Jesus, why can't I? I, dec- I went blank on Eddie Graham. Yes, yeah, she had Eddie Graham there in Florida, and I'm thinking of Michael Graham. It was the picture in my head, and I couldn't come up with the last name. But uh, you had to, you had to be on the end. And Tojo was the guy in Tennessee that trained people. Well, let's talk a little bit
0: about um, the story of how he got originally discovered, because that has been debated a little bit. And maybe you can set the record straight. Sid has said at different times that it was Randy who discovered him, but other times he credits Jerry Lawler saying that Lawler first discovered him at a softball game. Either way though, once he's done with training, his first match is teaming with Austin idol to take on Jerry Lawler and Nick Bockwinkle. So they saw money in him right away because he's working with tippy top guys. Did you hear, I mean, cause that almost sounds made up just knowing what we know about the inside joke about Sid and softball. Did Jerry Lawler discover Sid at a softball game, or was it the macho man at a gym? What do you lean towards being more accurate?
1: Lawler, and that's the only one I've ever heard. I, n- I never heard the Savage story before, but I did hear the Lawler story before. That, I don't know how credible that makes either one, but I know Lawler has taken credit over the years for bringing Sid Udi into the business. Well, there you go. Uh, Sid said that Terry
0: Funk was supposed to be Austin's mystery partner in that match we talked about, but Terry didn't shore up. I don't know if his horse was sick or whatever. Uh, Sid's still training at the time and he's home eating and suddenly he gets a call and tells him to get to the arena right now. He's going to wrestle that night as Lord humongous. Sid didn't have any wrestling gear, but these guys threw something together and they were all obviously very helpful. And it's a very, uh, unique situation to say the least how common was that where somebody's out and you just have to get a replacement and the guy's not all the way ready, but shit, we got to have something in the ring
1: in Memphis. Very common. (laughs) I think that Jerry Lawler would slap a Halloween costume on anybody with any kind of size and just put them in the ring and tell them all you have to do is stand here. You don't have to do a whole lot to get by and create the illusion that the audience got something special for their money. Um, it wasn't the case so much anywhere else, uh, anywhere else in the country, man, um, Memphis was unique to that. He's out of there fairly
0: quickly and, and into continental. Why don't you think Sid stayed longer in Memphis?
1: I probably just cause he needed to get the hell out of there and go learn how to work, go and learn a new hold, as Jim Ross would say. And sometimes sticking around your, where everybody knows you, so to speak. And they just wanted to go out and get experience. Maybe they felt they had done all they could for him at the time and thought you need to go get seasoning elsewhere. And that was the best thing for any young guy to do was go from territory to territory.
0: Let me just freestyle this for a minute. Is it perhaps feasible that there's a situation where Sid is, um, not making a ton of money in Memphis and maybe they hear about him or see the size or whatever and think, Hey, let's make an offer. Cause it probably won't take much to get him down here. And he just gets recruited, so to speak, to make a little more money and go to continental,
1: I could see him making a call and saying, Hey, can you guys use me and them saying, you know, yeah, you can make X amount per week, but there was not a whole lot of recruiting other than by the bookers to their buddies, or if they found somebody that was hot in another part of the country that was drawing well, that they would go out and recruit. And these years it was that phone call of, Hey, can you use me? Send me a picture, send me some tapes. They'll take a look at them, see a big bastard like that and think, you know what? Maybe we can make something with this guy. It is interesting
0: because while he's in Continental, he comes in as Lord humongous. And then I guess in a bit of a peek into the future, he winds up being managed by downtown Bruno, which is pretty incredible. Uh, a lot of our listeners may not be familiar with that name. What did we know him as in the WWF? Harvey Whippleman. It's amazing. By God. So he stays in Continental about eight months. During that time, he even has a stint in New Japan, if you can believe it. He's wrestling there as the Vicious Warrior, and he even challenges Tatsumi Fujinami for the world title, but he doesn't win it. And I know it's easy, you know, uh, you especially like to take shots in Memphis and Alabama, but it says a lot about this guy that, you know, he's working main events very early in Memphis
1: and even gets a, a world title shot in New Japan, doesn't it? a little bit different back in those days and it was the same thing here's a big guy yeah. to bring in and and that was the illusion they didn't have to work because they didn't have weekly television where they would see him they would bring in uh like music videos and highlight packages in Japan to show these guys and the only time you'd see him is at one time on the tour and one like they were returning <laughs> with him so you have Fujinami beating a huge guy and that's impressive for Fujinami
0: So during his time in continental, Eddie Gilbert comes in and Sid put over Eddie as a, being a great guy. And he brings in Paulie dangerously with him. And Sid said, Bruno got nervous when Paul came in. So he asked to be released and he went back to Memphis, but Sid said his fondest memories of the business came from his time in continental. And I don't think continental gets talked about enough. Is it almost like a forgotten territory from younger fans?
1: It really is, and it was one of the, in my opinion, one of the better territories. It had a pretty good eclectic mix of top talent from around the country. Guys, for example, Jerry Stubbs, Bob Armstrong, who had settled that came either from Alabama or came from Pensacola, Florida. They settled there. They were easy trips, short trips, so it was a great place to go. You made decent money, and... You could be home in your bed every single night. So it was a lot of fun. And when Eddie Gilbert came in to take over as the booker at this time, they, man, they turned it around and they got syndicated television and they were doing pretty damn well. Uh, Traditionally it was run by the Fullers, but at this time it was run by a television guy, David something or other that um, had syndication and got the TV out there. So This is pretty successful territory.
0: So let's talk a little bit about, uh, his run in world-class championship wrestling. It's very brief. I mean, he's there for a hiccup, but it's there where he gets the name Sid Vicious. Now Sid Vicious is not exactly a, um,
1: revolutionary name. Somebody else was already using that name, right, Bruce? Yeah, the, uh, it was the band. OK, that uh, what the hell was the name of the band? They were the Sex Pistols or something from England. It was like Sorry. a punk rock. Yeah, they were the original punk rock group. So it's probably just somebody in WCW or WCCW that looked at him and, OK, your name's Sid. What well, can we come up with a cool last name? Because Udi ain't it. Right. And I know, let's steal... <laughs> let's steal Sid Vicious's name. And it fit. You know, if there was ever a name that fit somebody. I would argue that Sid vicious fit Sid. Yeah.
0: Much better than Sid justice. That's for sure.
1: No, uh, Sid justice was by far the best of all time.
0: Oh God. We'll we'll get I loved right there. it. All
1: right. So after his brief stint here in
0: world-class, he goes to the NWA, which of course would become WCW. And I would think you would just push that guy as a monster solo star heel right away, but instead. He's put into a team known as the skyscrapers with dangerous Danny Spivey, who would go on to be Whalen Mercy in the WWF. Dan Spivey and Sid Uti, as you said, Sid Vicious. Those are a couple of badass dudes for a tag team, Were they not?
1: No shit. I would not want to see Dan Spivey on the other end of the alley and have to get through him. Wouldn't happen. Uh Dan Spivey, legitimate tough guy. But This was an opportunity to put Sid in a place where he could learn. Spivey was a seasoned guy that had been around for a while, was a decent worker, big guy. But it also protected Sid, where he could tag in and out and learn how to work in a tag team environment. NWA was different than Memphis and Continental in that you you had workers there. You had guys that could go. And if you couldn't keep up, you were quickly going to be pushed to the wayside them putting Sid in a tag team really protected him in the beginning.
0: Did you see, uh, money and Sid at this point, I mean, obviously you saw him as Lord humongous by the time he's in the NWA and WCW it's, I don't know, 89. You're in the WWF.
1: Is he on your radar at all? Yes. Big time. And, and Sid was, Sid was on my radar just from when I first met him in continental because he was a big, good looking bastard, you know? Um, but he needed, he needed time. He needed seasoning. And this was what we were looking at time for him to get seasoned, but he was definitely on the radar just on his look. And he was, and plus, I mean, when I met him and my dealings with him initially, hell of a nice guy.
0: The, uh, the fun thing here is he's not a strong promo. So they put him with Teddy long, uh, who is formerly a referee in this promotion, but now he's turned heel. I guess I should ask here. How did you prefer our hall of famer, Teddy long as a ref, a heel manager, a baby face manager,
1: or GM? I liked him as a GM best. It was so the one too. that we had most fun with. I didn't think he was a very good referee. Um, and as a baby face manager, I thought he was terrible. So it comes down to GM or heel manager. I just enjoyed him as a GM most.
0: It is interesting that, you know, these guys have, uh, a much different look than say the twin towers of the WWF, but I mean, really look at that two big dudes, wide dudes, boss, man, and Akeem, managed by slick twin towers, but down South two jacked up dudes, Spivey and Sid managed by Teddy long. I sort of draw those comparisons, but if I, ha- if I just saw pictures of them without all the crazy gimmicks of African dream and you know, a cop, you would think for sure okay, these big jacked up muscular dudes, those guys are WWF guys. Is it just the the greenness that Sid had that made you guys sort of wait a little bit?
1: Yeah, definitely. He he wasn't ready. He He was not, he wasn't ready for the main stage at that point in his career.
0: Well, what's funny too is I think you can go back and watch a lot of footage and there's some really interesting footage of, A guy not cooperating in a match and enhancement talent. And they just beat the shit out of him uh, when they realized, oh, he's not going to sell. Well, how's this feel? But when you go back and watch some of that early stuff with him and Spivey, it's apparent to me that Spivey is sort of carrying the match. He's doing the bumping and stuff, but the monster moves, the power moves, he's letting Sid do those because that's probably the way it worked. Ultimately, the NWA didn't give him a giant push either. They had matches with the road warriors and Steiner brothers, but never won a tag title. Their run didn't wind up lasting very long. Sid actually suffered an injury at one of the clash of the champions against the Steiner brothers. He has a broken rib that actually leads to a punctured lung, which causes him to be out six or seven months. And as a result of Sid being out, they need a replacement. So they get Spivey, another tag team
1: partner who is mean, Mark. How great God, is well, was he mean Mark callous at that time or just mean Mark? He was mean Mark callous
0: and yeah. he's brought in to replace Sid. And of course, mean Mark is going to go on to be the undertaker. So your WrestleMania 13 main event once had the exact same spot in the same tag team in another promotion. And then they made their name for themselves somewhere else. Kind of fun. Now, when Sid returns, he gets the big singles push. And this time he's put with the four horsemen. Uh, that iteration is Barry Windham, Arn Anderson, and of course, Rick flair. And Rick has been pretty vocal over the years saying that Sid should never have been in that group. And some of that is probably him, uh, defending his friend over the incident with Arn Anderson. You weren't there. You never worked for WCW, but when did you hear, or what did you hear rather about the whole Sid Arn situation?
1: You know, I think we heard what everybody else heard, and a lot of it. So much of it was, uh, I don't know how much rumor and innuendo there was involved in it. I talked to Arn years later, never talked to Sid about it, but I guess they were out in a bar overseas, and Arn had had a few drinks, and Arn was on Sid pretty hard with ribbon on the square, which means he was kind of jokingly. Throwing out shoot comments that were getting under Sid's skin. Uh, one thing led to another, led to another. And I forget who went to whose room. I think Sid went to Arn's room with the chair. They got into a big fight with Sid eventually pulling out some scissors and stabbing Arn several times, uh, damn near killing him. Literally, damn near killing him. And both guys, you know, they were separated. Arn was in the hospital for a long time. I remember uh Vince calling Arn when he got back to the States and checking on him and Arn kind of shared the story. But but Arn was even just like, hey, you know, shit happens sometimes, but it was a black mark on Sid tremendously, uh, from the use of the scissors and just a horrible, ugly, ugly incident that I don't think either one of those guys would go back and, and wanna point to in any way, shape, or form other than that was an unfortunate incident.
0: Were there ever any repercussions in the WWF like did Rick or Arn or anybody else ever sort of uh speak ill, bury, shit upon, whatever you wanna say to the office about Sid because of that incident that you know of, or by the time they got there, it was bygones be bygones
1: by the time that Aaron got. Yeah. It pretty much was bygones be bygones. However, I look, I don't care who you are. I think there's always going to be underlying feelings. Sure. Uh, when someone <laughs> stabs you that many times and you realize how close to death you actually were. So, um, but then when they came over, it was pretty much business and I don't remember them ever saying anything negative about him but I don't know that it would have even come up by the time they came over in uh 2000s.
0: It is interesting
1: because Sid actually
0: credits Arn with helping him with his promos because he really hadn't spoken much when he joined the Horsemen and Arn supposedly spent a lot of time helping him there. And eventually, he got a world title main event against Sting at Halloween Havoc in 1990. And it looked like he's going to be the champion because they did the old switcheroo with Barry Wyndham and Sting paint, but they wind up not going that way. And somewhere around this time, uh, Sid started to become unhappy. And this is what eventually leads to the conversation in that bar um, that would lead to the incident with Arn and the scissors. But supposedly before that ever happens, Sid says he was contacted by the WWF because quote unquote, Hulk Hogan was going to be taking some time off and they wanted Sid to fill the spot. Do you remember a conversation like that happening in 1990 or 1991?
1: I remember there being interest in Sid. And I remember Vince expressing interest in Sid. I remember when Undertaker came in, the... Legion of Doom, Hawk walking into Vince's office because Vince had reached out and and people knew that Vince was interested in Sid and had had conversations with Sid and Hawk walked into the office and said, "You got the right skyscraper um, and Vince just kind of laughed it off because we weren't dealing with Sid at that time, so there had been conversations for a while going back and forth and I think Sid would use those to further his place, to get a better spot, WCW back and forth. But, um, yeah, there was, there was definitely interest on both sides. Well, let's talk about the conversation. Sid would
0: say that he called Vince and they put him through straight away and he asked Vince if he could fly up the next day so they could talk and Vince agreed. So Sid goes up, talks to Vince and he says he gave him a magic wand bullshit story, whatever that means. But by the time he gets home, maybe word had leaked, but WCW had doubled their original offer to him. So Sid thought, well, I'm going to do that. But before he actually leaves the house, Vince calls back, asked if he signed yet and Sid said no, but I'm on my way to do it. And Vince pushes that. This is your opportunity. Sid almost feels like it's an ultimatum, like it's now or never. So he gets off the phone and instead of going to WCW to sign his contract, He tells him he's
1: finishing up. Is that the way you remember it going down? Pretty much. Yeah. And the funny thing about it was he had a guaranteed contract in WCW and he had no guarantee other than opportunity in WWF. Talk to me about what that
0: looks like. I mean, I I know what guaranteed means. I know what opportunity means. But is Vince sort of saying we've had guys at your level who make X number of dollars? What does the presentation sound like? There's got to be something more detailed than just. We've got opportunity.
1: Oh, he'll give you a ballpark. He'll, he'll let you know that by, you know, you want to work 300 days a year and make all of the house shows, make everything. This is what a guy at your level could make. And it's up to you to put the time in. It's up to you to work your ass off and get there. But that opportunity is here for you. In WCW, it was, here's how much money you're going to make for the next two years. With a dollar figure, and I don't know if they had dates in it at that time or not, but there were no specifics with the WWF contract. The WWF contract, the only guarantee in it was that if you worked television, I think you were guaranteed $25. That was the only type of guarantee that was in there. You'd receive a minimum of $25, and the rest of it was pretty much open that you'll get paid when you work, and that's it.
0: I get why Sid was disappointed in that contract. I mean, that's not a lot of money. But if you'd like to save a lot of money, then you need to go to savewithbruce.com. And this is the time of year everybody can use a little extra cash. As you overdo it during the holiday season or some of your New Year's resolutions to get out of debt and save money, well, savewithbruce.com makes it fast and easy. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And I'm talking to you. If you're in a 30 year loan, if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt, it's not a matter of if we can save you money. It's a matter of how much. Find out right now for free at SaveWithBruce.com. It's fast and easy. Isn't it, Dusty?
1: You know it is, baby, because you can take all of them bills that come in and pile up on your desk every month, and you look at that credit card bill. You look at that first mortgage. You see the second mortgage over here. That car payment. When well, you consolidate that all into one low monthly payment. You're going to be just mesmerize that the amount of money saved with Bruce.com is going to save you. You tell them the money. You tell them what it is.
0: Fast and easy right now. Save with Bruce.com. Just a couple of quick clicks. Tell us who you are, where you live, and what you're looking to do, and we'll take care of the rest. It's me, Conrad Thompson, First Family Mortgage, and you're going to save a bunch of money. Isn't that right, Macho?
1: Oh, yeah.
0: huh? NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Save with bruce.com. Meltzer would say in the April 91 edition of The Observer that Sid was bolting WCW for the WWF after they had really came to terms. He let the company know that he would be leaving after the May pay-per-view. And he even says quote WCW officials believe vicious was promised the main event spot opposite Hulk Hogan at next year's WrestleMania in Indianapolis as the lure to get him away. It appears WCW made some major promises to vicious besides just money in order to keep him. And there was some demoralization within WCW since the company did everything it could to keep the guy and basically turned down guaranteed money and probably the title in order to get a chance to lose to Hulk Hogan. So chat me up here. This is in the observer, which means that somebody told somebody that, uh, and I know you're going to dump on it, but just play along for a minute. Do you think it was ever even discussed? That they could be the main event at WrestleMania. And if so, how I could
1: see you in the main event at WrestleMania. I could see you against Hulk. I could see you against warrior by God. Can you imagine being on that stage? And a lot of in from guys, they'll they'll take that and say, he promised me the main event against Hulk Hogan. Vince doesn't, doesn't speak in. I'm going to promise you the, the WrestleMania main event against Hulk Hogan. Right. He doesn't, he doesn't talk like that. So I could see him giving you a, what if scenario, I could see him telling you he could see that. Imagine this. Can we get there? Um, and then, You take away from that what you want to take away from that. It is just interesting to
0: me that for years and years, so many of us have thought, okay, well, the plan for WrestleMania 8 originally was Flair and Hogan. But then there's a report here in the Observer that perhaps it was promised to Sid. And I know you're saying, well, no, it didn't exactly happen like that. He said, I could see you. It's still interesting though, because I don't think I even knew that that was a rumor a year ahead of time. Cause this is April of 91. WCW responds to this news by pulling Sid from all the shows, including house shows, and they pay him five grand a week to just sit at home for a month until his contract expires. And he's finished there on May 20th, 1991. WCW had trademarked the Sid vicious name. So he couldn't go to the WWF as Sid vicious. Were you there when they came up with Sid justice or did that happen after you were, uh, on hiatus as Vince likes to say?
1: Well, he, he debuted obviously after, but I'd heard the name Sid justice. And I know you're going to shit all over it, but it was absolutely to me. I thought it was better than Sid vicious, especially as a baby face and the way that they were going to bring him in as the referee and all that bullshit. Um, I just, I did. I love the name. I thought it was great.
0: There's rumored innuendo that Paul Orndorff wanted to come in with Sid and sort of be Sid's mouthpiece, his
1: second. Did you ever hear that? No, I I didn't. I don't know if that's... Bruce, uh, take your pills! True or not. So I, I never heard that.
0: Had, at this point, you guys heard about the fascination with softball with Sid and was it a concern?
1: I don't – you know, I don't think that we – we may have heard about it, but I don't think that it was ever taken real seriously. We try to judge everybody and how they are with us, okay, and not listen to the rumor and innuendo, if you will. And you think that people may perform differently in other situations and other environments. So you want to give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, I don't know that that was ever addressed but I think that Vince probably just chalked it up to rumor and innuendo. And why would he do that here? I think that's kind of how it was viewed.
0: Let me ask. Um, I know this is a deep cut, but off the top of your head, do you know if any other names are considered for Sid besides Sid justice?
1: Boy, I I don't, I really don't. I remember though, Sid justice being, it it was like the perfect name at the time. It was, it fit everything about it fit. And I remember seeing stuff with him in the, in the light blue and he's fucking popping, uh, all tan and shit and that golden hair. He looked like Sid justice. I mean, he, he looked like a damn Greek God. So I don't, it, I'm sure there were plenty of names. They didn't float by my desk. And, and when Sid justice came out everybody was like aha that's it
0: talk to me a little bit about the uh decision to debut him at a house show instead of on tv because he debuts at a superstars taping but it's a dark match um the mountie comes out challenges any man in the house to a fight and out comes sid and of course vicious destroys him and the next night they do the same thing with earthquake but this never makes TV. Why wouldn't you just put him right on TV right away?
1: They weren't ready to put him on TV. They they had an idea to do this thing at SummerSlam and debut him in a big way there without having him work. Vince didn't want him to be just another guy. So Man. he wanted to bring him in special so it was that was strategic. He didn't want to put him on TV wrestling until the right time
0: one of the things that Meltzer wrote about was some speculation about what might be coming. And of course we know what actually happened. Uh, so we can sort of go through this with the benefit of hindsight quote with Sid justice as a babyface, the most speculated main event for next year's WrestleMania is Hogan versus warrior with warrior going heel at the end of this year. Here are just a few reasons between Sid and the return of Randy Savage in the fall. Warrior will probably fall to the number four face, which isn't a position that is a major factor in drawing fans. If he turns, he can easily be the number one heel or at worst number two, because slaughter is already being pushed well after whatever value he has is gone. An undertaker will probably work house shows in the fall against Hogan. Number two, warrior is a walking public relations, time bomb as a face because at any time, any major media source could bring up your past once again. And number three, You don't really think Hogan is going to retire without beating warrior in WrestleMania at least once. Do you now? Of course we know none of that really happened, but it is a fun chance to just ask a sidebar. Do you remember there ever being a discussion about the ultimate warrior being turned heel?
1: No. Okay. And that was another one that Vince didn't feel people would accept him as a heel. I thought he was a much more natural heel (laughs) in real life, but Vince had this thing about guys like Hogan and warrior that they're heroes and you, you can't take that shine off of them. And he felt that way about warrior too. I know you weren't there, but
0: Meltzer reported that once Sid actually got his WWF contract, even though he had verbally agreed and given notice to WCW, the contract he received was the standard at the time. What you just ran through 2250 per year guaranteed. That's $2,250. So allegedly He's so upset by this that he makes some contact with WCW, but after considering everything just settles in, it is interesting to think about what could have been there, uh, his first official match, July 8th, 1991 in Calgary. He pins Ted DiBiase with a power bomb. And at the end of July, Sid helps to bring in downtown Bruno, who we talked about earlier, and uh, he starts off being Herbie Wilmington, but would later go on to become Harvey Whippleman. They hit the house show loop working with Hercules and start working with The Undertaker a lot in both regular and casket matches. And Sid is actually getting the win in most of those. He beats The Warlord in a King of the Ring tournament in September and then goes to a double DQ with The Undertaker. But SummerSlam is what we're really all about here. August 26, 1991, at MSG, Sid is the special guest referee in the main event between Hulk Hogan and The Ultimate Warrior when they take on Sergeant Slaughter colonel mustafa and general adnan after the match hulk and sid pose together in the ring and of course once the the match is over randy savage and elizabeth uh get married during a pay-per-view and then famously have a reception backstage where when they're opening presents a cobra pops out of one and jake roberts and undertaker walk in and then sid comes in to run them off
1: you were for sin Justice, uh huh. Yeah, my favorite line ever.
0: So, you weren't there, but you were obviously watching. What did you think of the way they used him as a referee and then in the post match VHS special with the Cobra Snake in a box? <laughs>
1: um, I think you know, for Vince, Vince knew he was getting rid of Warrior that night after. Tempting to be held up. So he was looking at this opportunity to sprinkle the Hulk dust on Sid, have him pose at the end and just kind of look at, Hey folks, here's your, your next two big baby faces for the foreseeable future. Um, so I think that that's, that's just what he was trying to do. And, and the, the aftermath stuff that they did with the wedding reception Oh, boy. Um, For me, it was very hokey. And they had gotten into that because they had changed the way they were doing television. And there were some Hollywood people and different people that like to have two and three, four cameras backstage and shoot everything with cutaways that it just didn't feel real to me. I mean, I get it. It's folks it's a work however i like to shoot things as if they were actually really happening at the time um not a big multi-camera guy so i just thought it was kind of hokey but (laughs) at the same time the best line of the year came out well thank good for Sid justice oh yeah i just that was absolutely incredible to me you got hogan endorsing him and then right right behind that savage endorses him let's talk
0: about um What happens shortly thereafter this Sid's working with Roberts and undertaker on house shows through September, but then come October 7th, he suffers a tendon injury in his left bicep, which keeps him out of action until January. And then a pretty famous incident happened. Meltzer would write what has turned into a much talked about incident took place early this past week at the Ramada Inn bar by the Atlanta airport. Justice was at the bar along with several WCW wrestlers. And according to reports from several sources, including one eyewitness justice, allegedly had words with Mike Graham, which caused tempers to flare. The key phrase repeated most often was the justice who, according to the stories was talking about how messed up WCW was and how great the WWF was, was asked to shut up by Graham and told Graham that he had drawn more money in the past week than Graham did in his entire career. Are you going to take those fucking
1: pills. I don't know what's happening
0: before a fight started. Somehow justice turned his attention to Brian Pillman with a similar verbal treatment. Allegedly justice told Pillman. The reason the WWF is so much better is that they're more believable and they don't let little guys do programs with big guys. That line has been often repeated is that justice also told Pillman that he'll never make it in the business because he's a pretty boy and he doesn't know how to work. So Pillman jumps up aggressively and the two are about to come to blows. And finally Sid backs down, pulling up his shirt and showing a bandaid on his arm because he had just suffered a bicep injury and left the bar and everyone thought it was over. But then Sid came back in with a squeegee, holding it like a weapon and challenging Pillman or Graham to fight him. Graham grabs the squeegee from justice and justice made a comment or two while people held Pillman back and left the bar the past several days, Pillman and Graham have been treated as heroes in WCW's dressing room because the story has pretty much gone around with the version that each of them backed down big Sid justice. This is a legendary story and I know you weren't there, but it had to be something that made its way to you. Oh God. Yes. It it
1: was, I think it made its way everywhere, (laughs) no matter what it was. And you know, I heard the story, from uh, Graham and Pillman, both Pillman much later when Pillman came to work for us uh, several years after that. But uh, it also in that very bar in the Ramada bar, Mike Graham told me the story about what had taken place. And I'd, I'd heard Sid's version, but through other people, not directly from Sid. So it was, you know Sid's version was one that he was injured, and it just had this surgery done, and that they were all popping off to him, and he popped off to them, and it was two against one, and he was going to defend himself, okay, so he, hence the uh, squeegee uh, from Mike Grant, pretty much almost what you just said, what happened is is how Mike Graham described it that. Sid was sitting there telling them everything that was great about the WWF and everything that was wrong with WCW. And Graham told me, told him, just shut the fuck up, Sid. And they got into a little verbal thing, and Pillman got into verbally back and forth. And then Pillman stood up and said, let's do something about it. They all got in between them, blah, blah, blah. And, And Sid left. They thought they were done with him. And then came back with the squeegee. And as Graham says, he goes, I went up and ripped the squeegee out of his hand and told him I was going to shove it up his ass if he didn't get out of there. So that was the Mike Graham version, it was straight from Mike Graham's mouth to me, sitting at the very bar at the Ramada at the airport. Um, not that long after, you know, after it had happened. So. Who knows, you know, only those that were, that were actually there will know what all happened, but it all seems to kind of come together. Everybody's version is, is pretty much all the same, except what would have happened. had Sid been healthy type thing.
0: Let's get to the Royal rumble January 19th, 1992. Sid of course is in the rumble and the winner is going to become the new WWF champion because the title has been held up. Sid comes in at number 29. He eliminates Roddy Piper. Randy Savage, Rick Martell, and Hulk Hogan. So what a debut. I mean, really think about that. Martell, Piper, Savage, Hogan. So that leaves Sid and Flair as the last two in the ring. But Hulk, who's supposed to be a babyface, face, is pissed that Sid threw him out. So he grabs Sid's arm and Rick comes from behind Sid and throws him out while Hulk is pulling Sid's arm. So Flair won the world title. And a lot of people still say that that 92 Royal Rumble is their absolute favorite, including our old pal, Dave Meltzer, uh, on the heels of this Sid starts working the house shows again with the undertaker in theory. I mean, let's just call it like it is not very much a babyface move for Hulk
1: to pull Sid out. Sid was screwed here, right? Oh God. I hated it. Yes. He was screwed. It made Hulk, it made Hulk look like shit. Horse sport, so I got eliminated by you fairly, (laughs) you know, in a match. That's the deal. And then I'm going to hold you, and I'm going to pull you over because you eliminated me, even though I'm out of it now. Um, Again, psychological. I don't. I. I will never understand that call, but they did it, and I've I've never gotten an explanation for it, one way or another. I think that Hulk would probably put that one on Vince, and I think Vince would put that one on Hulk. So who the hell knows what that call really was? But I to me, I would have had Flair dump both Hogan and Sid at the same time. Right.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Do a
1: double elimination. It makes Flair the fucking guy. He just outlasted all these guys this whole time. He dumps the two biggest names in there. And he's standing tall. Now, both guys have a gripe versus just, I wouldn't have treaded that water with Hulk uh, for people to have the opportunity to boo him. It's just, eh, again, hindsight's 2020 and I'm not a fan of it.
0: On the January 25th episode of superstars, the president, Jack Tunney holds a press conference to announce who's going to be facing Ric Flair for the world title at WrestleMania. And at this table are seated, Roddy Piper, the undertaker, Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan, and Sid. And before they even announce who the number one contender is going to be, Sid stands up expecting to be announced as the winner, but then Tony chooses Hogan. So after the press conference, Sid cuts a hell of a promo on Jack Tunney, and he has a legitimate beef saying the last wrestler eliminated from the rumble should have been chosen to face flair and later, of course, Sid would issue an apology to Hogan, which Hogan accepts, but let's get to the Saturday night's main event that was taped on the 27th, but aired on February 8th. We've got Sid teaming with Hogan to take on flair and the undertaker. And during the match, when Hogan needs desperately to make the tag, Sid just walks out and leaves Hogan for dead against flair and Taker. So Sid's a heel now, what'd you think of this? Uh, the way they turned Sid here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, she's kind of cold. Yeah. I mean, realistically, if you're really paying attention, Sid's done nothing wrong here, right? I mean, it, I don't know. Sid was the one who was wrong. Let's talk about the February 23rd episode of wrestling challenge. Pretty famous appearance here for Sid. On Brutus the fucking barber, Beefcake's barbershop segment. Knowing that Hogan was not in the arena, Sid threatened Beefcake and chased him off the set, and then he destroyed the barbershop with a chair. But in the process, he breaks a window with a chair, and uh, some of the product explodes all over him and gets all over his face, which is
1: a hilarious visual. The, the part when the, when the barbasol the shaving cream was exploding in his mouth and getting all over him and he just didn't know what the hell was happening is pure classic and worth going back and checking out.
0: Without question. We'll try to link it. Uh, It's on the WWE network. We'll link it long enough for them to yank it down. Uh, later that night, it was announced that Hogan would battle Sid, not the champion, Ric Flair in the main event of WrestleMania eight. Which results in Flair facing Randy Savage for the world title instead. So, all through the March uh, house show loop, Piper and Hogan are beating Flair and Sid in tag matches. When we get to WrestleMania 8, Hogan and Sid are in the last match. Uh, you know, Hogan is uh, pulling out all the stops here because the Ultimate Warrior makes a return and Papa Shango does a run in. Meltzer didn't like it. It's, of course, a, a DQ win hogan 12 minutes 29 seconds Meltzer gave it negative two stars Uh, he says not that this wasn't horrible because it had to be one of the worst three main events in pay-per-view history but it was also teased that this might be hulk hogan's retirement match and that's certainly one of the ways they tried to sell this pay-per-view that this could be the last time you see hulk hogan and sid even cuts a hell of a promo with our good old close personal friend, mean Gene Okerland, where he guarantees this is going to be his last match. It's probably Sid's best promo in his entire career up to that night. Wouldn't you agree?
1: It was a good promo. Yeah. Sid, that's man. Sid could talk his ass off. Are you going to talk about the match or we're just going to be quiet now? Well, here's the issue with the match. To me. And again, I wasn't there. But it was two big guys that their work may not be the greatest in the world. They need other people around. They need good workers around them to make them look larger than life and really great. But when you put the two big guys with similar styles in together, um they were it just was not a great match. They had no chemistry at all when the bell rang and just didn't gel. And I, I think that the audience was begging for it to be over. I know I was watching it at home. Do you think in hindsight,
0: um, Hogan and flair would have had a better match than Hogan and Sid?
1: Oh, Hogan and flair would have had a better match without question. Okay. Um, both of them, both of them need workers around them. Yeah.
0: Sid works a European tour against the undertaker every, every night, right after WrestleMania. And he even works a double shot against warrior on April 26th. Uh, he's working him in both Baltimore and Boston warrior wins both matches by DQ. And after these two matches, well, that's the end of Sid for three years. Meltzer would write the continuing saga of Sid Udi took another strange turn this past week. The former Sid vicious now said justice, at least as of last week was officially suspended for a period of no less than six weeks by the WWF for its all-inclusive term, unprofessional conduct. This came after Justice stormed out of the Boston Garden after a match last Sunday night with the Ultimate Warrior because he was unhappy either with the way they were going to the finish or the finish itself. The finish was him losing by DQ in about four minutes. And the working proficiency of his opponent, which many have termed a pot calling the kettle black. As the week went on, the story was Justice had... In this order, quit, been fired, or been suspended. On Monday, Papa Shango was contacted and flown to the Northeast for a show that night in Rochester to take Justice's spot in main events against Warrior from his Midwestern bookings, since word was out that Justice had gone AWOL and quit the promotion. Justice hasn't appeared since, including missing television tapings on Tuesday and Wednesday, and on Sunday's Tokyo Sports, it was reported that Justice, who is believed to have had more than one year left on his WBF contract, was now negotiating with new Japan. Although new Japan's office didn't confirm the story. This marks the third straight year that justice hasn't worked during this time of year, I E softball season two years ago, while recuperating from a collapsed lung, the then Sid vicious no showed world championship wrestling house shows in which he was supposed to appear in the corner since he hadn't gotten clearance to wrestle in lieu of apparently playing in a softball league locally which gained him the reputation softball Sid last year. At this time, he quit WCW after attempting to get his contract renegotiated due to the lure of the promised WrestleMania main event against Hulk Hogan the following year, and then he took a few months off just working television tapings before starting in the on the road in August with the WWF. So you're not with the company, but when you hear that Sid's gone, are you shocked? And does this talk of softball start to come to be a thing again?
1: Well, I, probably it's the first time that it really, the softball talk on a larger level was really discussed. Cause as you said, it was the third time it happened. Coincidentally, this time of year, softball season, he went away. So that was definitely the scuttlebutt and the rumor and the innuendo and what have you. It did surprise me that, Sid was gone this quickly because he was somebody that Vince, he was the kind of guy that Vince would love and that Vince would look at to mold and make the guy. So that part of it, it shocked me, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't there to be able to tell you what the dynamics were during any of that relationship for that first part. In June, Meltzer would report
0: that the reason Sid left is because the ultimate warrior was supposed to kick out of the power bomb. And justice didn't want him kicking out of his big move. So he just quit, but he told friends that he was planning to leave by July anyway. So he just hurried it up at the end of September. It was reported that both Hawk and Sid justice were still under contract, but suspended, meaning they're not getting paid, but they can't go work anywhere else. A few weeks later, though, it would come out in the observer that Sid had been given his release and he's able to begin negotiations to return to wrestling. And Meltzer would say best bet is Japan and they'll be sorry as well. At this point, do you think he had earned a reputation in both major North American companies?
1: Yes. Without a doubt is being pretty difficult to deal with and not being willing to do business. Well.
0: Uh, if you're ready to do some business, um, let's talk about sex and how you can do some good business. Remember the days when you were always ready to go? Well, now you can increase your performance and get the extra confidence in bed with BlueChew.com. Maybe make you the master and ruler in that area too. BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA approved active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. You can take these things anytime, day or night. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. This isn't just for guys with dysfunction. It's for any guy who wants to enhance their performance in the bedroom. It's prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, no in-person doctor's visits, No waiting in the pharmacy, no more awkwardness. Blue Chew is made right here in the USA. And since it ships direct, it's cheaper than a pharmacy. And now you can get a great deal here. Just visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment for free. Just use our promo code wrestle. You're going to pay $5 shipping and boom, first shipment is free. That's B L U E C H E w.com. Promo code wrestle. And you get to try it for free Bluechew.com, And the promo code is wrestle Bluechew, the better, cheaper, faster choice. And, uh,
1: what do you think Bruce? Will they enjoy their
0: hashtag super hard debt?
1: Ab Absolutely. Uh, our number one sponsor that people are constantly saying, what was that code for Blue Chew again? How do I get my free Blue Chew? And it's simple, bluechew.com. Use the promo code WRESTLE. And you can be just like uh, Sam O'Sullivan and... Willie Alexander gray, a couple of my friends that swear by it, um, and are thanking me on a weekly basis.
0: Yeah. Uh, Josh, the dick dancer from Colorado was telling me thanks to blue Chew, He hangs towels on his now. I don't even know what that means, but uh, on a November 22nd, 2011 edition of wrestling observer radio Meltzer confirmed a story where he said, Sid failed a drug test prior to his WrestleMania eight match with Hulk Hogan but he was allowed to do the match and then go on the European tour. But after the tour, he was told he was going to serve a suspension, which resulted in Sid quitting instead of, uh, trying to serve the suspension. So instead he quit and, uh, I guess pursued a career in softball. Did you ever hear the story about Sid failing the uh, drug test before WrestleMania?
1: I, I really hadn't. And it just It makes sense. Sid said the piss test
0: was after WrestleMania, not before. And that's the, what he called it a piss test. And he said that Vince knew exactly what he was on because Sid told him explicitly and Sid even says that he was using somebody else's piss during this time anyway. So he didn't get caught, which I can't believe is something anybody said out loud ever. Uh, Sid has also said that it was a mistake leaving WCW to go to the WWF at that time. Well, he wound up going back in may of 93. And in October of 93 is when that unfortunate incident happened with Arn Anderson on that UK tour, which we've talked about a little earlier. Um, he eventually gets a conversation with dusty Rhodes, where he says, all right, I'm going to have you win the world title. You're going to beat Vader and then Rick rude and dusty wanted him to sign a four or five year contract extension, which he was in favor of doing. But then this whole incident happens and the Starcade 93 main event where Sid was supposed to win the world title from Vader is changed and Flair takes the spot, Flair beats Vader and Sid's gone. Uh, Eric Bischoff tells Sid that a lot of guys were threatening to quit. If Sid was brought back, so he was released. We touched on the incident earlier. Is that the way you heard it? That Arn had a lot of friends in the company. Sid did not. And it came down to, we got to go with the boys on this one.
1: It's just good business. And also I think that people looked at Sid, Sid was the aggressor in the whole deal. Sid's the one that went to the room and damn near killed another employee of the company. So that's just a good business decision in my thinking. But also if you've got all the talent saying, Hey, we don't want him here. It's not going to work. Nobody's going to want to do business with him. It's not good for him. It's not good for anybody else and let him go. He goes to the USWA
0: after this on July 16th of 1994. Uh, He wins the USWA title by forfeit over Jerry Lawler. Uh, And then of course, uh, Lawler beat him in February to win the title back. And Sid leaves the company. And Sid says that Vince called him around this time about coming back to the WWF. Uh, chat me up here, what you remember about February of 95 and how this guy who was really a pain in the ass before is now coming back because now another pain in the ass named Bruce Pritchard, he's back in the company as well. So you can tell us about this.
1: Exactly. And, and one pain in the ass who wasn't there for the other pain in the ass was like, well, what if we gave Sean a bodyguard to make people believe that he has a chance against this giant diesel? Um, I brought Sid's name up just out of, I wasn't there. So I, I didn't go through all the shit that they had all previously gone through, but you could tell that Vince kind of had a soft spot for Sid and thought, well, yeah, that could work. Um, we'll bring him back and we'll see how the reaction is. We're not going to bring him back in the ring right away. We'll put him with Sean. Let's see how this dynamic works. And we'll take it step by step. I don't know that there were any big guarantees made to Sid. It was like, you want to work? You're not going back to work down South. I don't think they're going to have you. And if you want to make money in the wrestling business right now, the only place to do it is here. So let's try this. Let's, let's see what happens and and we'll take it on a day by day basis. That was the pitch. The rumor and innuendo is that you guys wanted to bring him in as psycho Sid.
0: But Sid thought that was a rib on him over the Arn Anderson incident. But if you go back and you watch WrestleMania 8, Bobby Heenan even freestyles and says that Gorilla had referred to Sid as Psycho Sid to a reporter. So technically, the reference to him being Psycho Sid happened well before the stabbing incident. But allegedly, upon his return here, he tells Vince, I won't be called Psycho Sid. I'll be Sid Vicious or I'll be Sid, but not Psycho Sid. Now, of course, we know we get there eventually. And when he makes a debut on February 20th, Sean introduces him as Sid. Was there ever discussion uh, that you know of here in 95 of calling him Psycho Sid?
1: See, I don't remember the Psycho Sid came until after the stuff with Sean w- after WrestleMania. When Sid attacked Sean, the idea Vince didn't like Sid Justice because he felt that Sid Justice was a babyface name. Right. I agree with that. So that's why we went with just Sid. And the idea behind him being in Sean's corner was he was just bodyguard Sid. And that was it. And the funny thing to me was throughout this whole relationship with Sean, it was a very interesting dynamic between Sean and Sid because here you've got this big monster Sid. And I remember him like doing kind of fixing Sean's hair when Sean would get the coat on and fluff his hair out. And then he would help Sean tie his tie and put him all together. It was, it just was interesting. Here's this big nasty looking bastard taking care of, of Sean. And he really looked after him, which was, <laughs> was kind of funny in and of itself, but they had, I mean, they kind of clicked together. They really did.
0: The uh, next day, February 21st, they're doing a heartbreak hotel with Sean and Sid, and they say, you could call Sid any last name you want and mention vicious and justice. Uh, Sid actually accompanies Sean to the ring for these matches, including WrestleMania 11, but he's not really doing anything. And then the night after WrestleMania 11, Sean and Sid are doing an in-ring interview, talking about the rematch. Sean told Sid to take the night off. And Sid attacked him and gave him three power bombs. And Diesel came out to Sean's aid. And that turned Sean babyface and set up a Sid Diesel program. That doesn't seem like the best idea, Sid and Diesel. Uh, did Vince at this point just think, we got to fast track this guy,
1: look at him? No. It was eventually w- we saw getting to Sid and Diesel, but we saw getting to Sid and Diesel with Sean. What happened was at WrestleMania 11, that's the infamous Vince coming into the car with Pat and I and Shane and saying, God damn it. Am I the only one that sees we have a baby face on our hands? Speaking about Sean and he, we completely rewrote the entire summer basically. Well, at least we rewrote the the next three weeks in the car Uh, As we went to Poughkeepsie to do television where this was shot and Vince just thought we were battling an uphill battle, trying to make Sean a baby face, something that Pat and I had been preaching and told never to bring up again. So the easiest way to do it was get him away from Sid and why not? Let's make Sid, you know, the big nasty heel and have him kill Sean and that will make Sean a babyface. Diesel comes out, uh, for the rescue and you immediately make that switch to Sid versus diesel. Uh, but it was, it was supposed to take longer. It was supposed to take longer to get there, but Vince felt it was an uphill battle and was going to hurt diesel. The more that he worked with Shawn Michaels. So that's why it was rushed.
0: Meltzer would report in April Dan Bobby is headed in and rumors are he'll have a top spot as Sid's tag partner. But if that's the case, nobody's been watching him for the past 10 years. So it's comment that, from Dave aside. Was, was there ever a discussion of these guys reforming a tag team or is that just rumor and innuendo?
1: 100% rumor and innuendo by that time, Dan was, his knees were gone and Dan was He'd already hung up the boots and he wasn't looking for anything else. Well, he came in as Wayland mercy, right? Hey, that was long before though. Oh,
0: okay. So April 17th, uh, raw here, we see Ted DiBiase announced that Sid joined the million dollar corporation. Talk me through that. Why was Sid a welcome addition here?
1: I just think that they, you know, Vince went back to. It's funny how this works sometimes. Sometimes managers are persona non grata. The other time is manager must have everybody. This was during a time that he felt Ted DiBiase carried a lot of heat with the Million Dollar Man gimmick and wanted to strengthen that by putting Sid in that group. I don't think that Sid, well, shit, Sid definitely did not need to be in that group. You know, the guys that were in there weren't the best promos in the world, which is why they were in it. Sid was a good promo. And I think it took a little bit away. I was in on the decision, but in hindsight, it took away from Sid and the whole psycho Sid persona by putting him in a group. Let's
0: get to uh, May 14th. It's the first in your house pay-per-view. I'm sure we'll cover it sometime. Sid is challenging diesel for the world title. That's your main event. Diesel retains beating Sid by DQ in 11 minutes and 29 seconds. Meltzer would say it was a clumsy, predictable match and give it three quarters of a star. Did you consider the match a disappointment? And what did Vince think?
1: Wow. (laughs) Um, it was, it was almost kind of a, what the fuck do we do now? Because you had so much equity in Sid and obviously diesel and Sean and that whole scenario and we were we were in many respects man we were booking almost month to month at this point because you didn't we had a whole summer planned to get to Sid and Diesel at SummerSlam for the first time. Now we're we're here we're in May and we're doing it on in your house. So it was rushed but I think there was a little bit of relief that we did it in your house and not at SummerSlam on a bigger platform. Um, but they didn't gel, man. Their styles just clashed and it wasn't, it, it did. We're trying to make diesel that big baby face champion that can slay all comers. And it didn't feel like that against another big bastard that looks like he could slay all comers. It just was a bad clash.
0: One of these early in your house events is when we saw, A pretty tremendous thing where, where Jr is interviewing Sid in the free for all, which they would run on like the free preview channel. So it's hard to imagine an era where everybody's TV didn't just have a built-in schedule with a DVR or some sort of channel guide like they do now. Back then you either had to go get the physical television guide, the TV guide from your supermarket or whatever, or look it up in the newspaper or go to a certain channel on your TV. And it would just show you what's going on. And that channel would play the first half hour of a pay-per-view, like a pre-show. And there's a famous moment where JR is interviewing Sid backstage and Sid gets frustrated and looks at JR and says, I'm sorry, let's start over again. And JR says, we're live pal. And he has to just launch right back in Were you, where were you when that moment happened and and what's the response? Obviously it's an accident. I mean, he would never intentionally flub that up. People make mistakes, but it is something that, uh, well, it's fun to watch.
1: Um, I think I was actually right there producing it and doing the, you know, wrap it up. We're live. Let's go. Um, but Jr handled it perfectly, but it's truly without a doubt, one of the funniest bloopers. When you go back and watch it, even to this day, I I think he thought, you know, we were doing pre-tapes for the pay-per-view, but it sucked. Well, what else
0: sucks is that, uh, Sid managed to hurt diesel in this match at this first in your house. And diesel had to go see Dr. James Andrews and get some bone chips cleared up in his elbow from a, a power bomb from Sid here. Uh, Throughout June, it looks like he's working steel cages against uh, Bigelow and Shawn Michaels, as well as regular matches against both of them and even the Undertaker on the house show loop. And that gets us to King of the Ring, which is June 25th in Philadelphia. Uh, Diesel and Bam Bam would beat Tatanka and Sid in 17 minutes and 35 seconds. Uh, Not a great match. Star and a half. Was this a tag match because Diesel was fresh off elbow surgery?
1: Yes, it was. It was just to try and protect him. And, the, you know, here's the the quandary that we're having is Sid in house shows is going out and working with Sean and they're tearing the house down. Right. He's got a much smaller opponent to work with who's bumping and flying all over for him and making him look like a million bucks. Unfortunately, when you put Sid in with a bigger guy that can't bump and fly for him that way, it, it just is, is a clash and makes him look less than. So it's just, that was the dilemma of trying to get him with the right opponent. And it was the same dilemma with diesel. You had to get him with the right opponents for them to look the monsters. We wanted them to be
0: coming out of King of the ring. Sid's back with diesel, uh, working some regular matches and uh, cage matches. And then eventually we get to the July 23rd in your house too, in Nashville, Tennessee, He's in the main event in a lumberjack match for the world title against diesel. We don't see a lot of lumberjack matches these days. They go 10 minutes and two seconds. It gets half a star in the observer. Um, I guess this is supposed to be the blow off of their feud. What'd you think of this? Is this a lumberjack match just to camouflage what these guys can't do?
1: Uh, yes. (laughs) Smile and wave boys, smile and waves. If there's enough shit going on outside the ring and enough gaga everywhere you look hopefully we're going to ignore uh the match in the ring and we'll give you a bunch of little matches on the outside of the ring with these guys that can bump and fly for the monsters inside that was the idea behind it and that's why it was booked that way
0: chat me up you know if you know and obviously vince knows hey these guys fucking suck so let's making a lumberjack match so we can camouflage it but you see on the house shows that they're tearing it up against smaller guys i mean i hate to be that guy why not run pay-per-views with them working smaller guys why wouldn't you do more of what works and less of what doesn't
1: because people wanted to see the two big guys face off against each other and were willing to pay money for that
0: but i mean how do we know that they weren't willing to see david and goliath a classic story
1: Uh, because unfortunately it wasn't drawn in the house shows okay
0: So instead, since, you know, since Sid was not a suitable worker for diesel, they call an audible and they call in the, uh, the old hand, Mr. Five stars himself, King Mabel. So King Mabel is going to replace Sid after this Meltzer would report. Sid was out of action this past weekend with bone spurs in his neck He was bothered by this for the past month, which to agree explains why he couldn't do anything in the pay-per-view match. And then at the tapings in Evansville, his arm went numb. So he actually missed St. Louis. He's scheduled back for the August 12th show at MSG, which was originally headlined by diesel and Sean versus Sid and Jeff Jarrett. But now it'll be men on a mission in the heel spot with Sid being moved down to face Ramon and Bret Hart will take on Jean-Pierre Lafitte. Chat me up here. Uh, Was this something that you guys are raising eyebrows about whenever Sid is hurt because of the reputation, or do you believe this one? I mean, I'm trying to figure out when people start to wonder, is he the boy who cried wolf? Is that happening yet here or no?
1: Yeah, it is. And I think that Vince takes everyone and gives them the benefit of the doubt. However, you know, everybody else, the boys, you get that rumbling of this is bullshit. This isn't. You know he doesn't complain about it. Said that it was an injury for a long time. Doesn't complain about it till long after the fact, when it looks as if things aren't going his way. So that was that was the scuttlebutt. I think Vince still wanted to take him at face value and give him the benefit of the doubt. You you can't you know you can't do a whole lot for someone if they don't tell you that they're injured or that something else is going on. So you keep moving. And if they're not performing well, then you attribute it to other things. He's okay. This isn't working because they don't have chemistry. This isn't working. uh, Whatever it was. But if they don't tell you they're injured until after the fact, it's kind of okay. If you've been injured for six weeks, why didn't you tell us six weeks ago? Um, We would have changed things. But yeah, I do think people were starting to second guess and, and especially the boys, I don't think that any of them believe that he was truly injured. I believe he was injured. I really do, but I don't know as to what extent. Sid would,
0: would go on record as saying that uh, he was injured months before in Indianapolis in a cage match with diesel. He said, diesel hit him from behind and Sid heard a pop and his entire body went numb and he couldn't feel anything. And he said they had to pick him up off the mat. And he worked with the injury for a little while. And I guess it's worth mentioning it's sort of a blessing in disguise for us fans because before Sid's injury, he was supposed to wrestle Shawn Michaels for the Intercontinental title at SummerSlam 95. But when Sid's out, Razor Ramon replaces him. And we see a rematch of that legendary ladder match from WrestleMania 10. So I know it wasn't the original plan, but. This is an upgrade. Is it not Bruce?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely take it and it'll go down as one of the greatest matches in the history of wrestling.
0: Sid winds up wrestling Sean on the September 5th raw and he loses after being hit with three consecutive sweet chin music kicks. And then he starts working house shows against Brett razor and Savio Vega through August and September. Uh, and then he has a, uh, USWA loser leaves town match. Where Brian Christopher and Sid beat Billy Jack Haynes and Jesse James Armstrong. And around this time, very briefly, uh, Sid was put in a feud with Henry Godwin, uh, which doesn't make any sense, but they wound up in, in a show at In Your House 3 in Saginaw, Michigan, September 24th. It got half a star in The Observer, but Sid gets the win over Henry Godwin. What's the thinking here? It does feel a little weird that you go from working with top guys to now. No disrespect, Henry Godwin.
1: This was an attempt to bring Henry up as well. So Henry was a hell of a worker and he may not have been perceived as a top guy. However, when you work with top guys, you get into that echelon. That's what it was designed to do. And I also don't think that, um, well, I think they had good chemistry, uh, Sid and Henry, their matches didn't suck. And that was contrary to Sid working with other big guys. So Henry could go out there and Henry sold Sid's stuff and vice versa. Uh, I think they liked each other. So it was, let's try it out. Let's give Sid a win here with the hog farmer. Sid
0: also briefly gets involved with, I can't believe this is real Dean Douglas, uh, and Razor Ramon and the one, two, three kid, uh, Sid winds up power bombing razor and kid gives a fast three count. Another moment that's worth mentioning here is on Action Zone. They had a match where several members of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders were in Bret Hart's corner for a match against Sid with the million dollar team in his corner. And one of the players, Glenn Kolka, distracted Sid so Brett could win. And Sid tore off Kolka's shirt just before the finish. And famously Kolka is a name that we read about a lot, but we don't hear about a lot. Uh, any memories of him in the WBF he can share with us? I don't know when we'll talk about him again.
1: Glenn had come in and he was a part of either the first or second Funkin' Dojo when Dory Funk Jr. and my brother Tom would have camps in Stanford, Connecticut to take a look at a lot of the independent wrestlers out on the scene. And Kolka was somebody from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, a, uh, a football team, a Canadian football team, friend with Bret Hart, thought he had a, he, well, shit, didn't think he had, he had a great look. But he was here for a very short while training. He trained with Brett in Calgary. He trained with us for a little while. Then there was an issue immigration wise, being able to get Glenn's green card to work in the United States. And, uh, we had to part ways. So that's pretty much the Glenn Kolka wrestling story in a nutshell.
0: Let's get to survivor series, November 19th. He was in a wild card match, which we've talked about briefly before. Shawn Michaels, Ahmed Johnson, Davey boy, Smith and Sid, beat Yokozuna, Owen Hart, Dean Douglas and razor Ramon. So it's a weird match where you've got baby faces and heels teaming together, but it got three and a half
1: stars in the observer. Whose idea was this? Why didn't we ever see another one? I fuck Well, cause it sucked. Um, I fucking hated it and it's partially my fault. The idea, original germ of this idea, Survivor Series, um, having a sole survivor. You take all of the survivors from the matches earlier in the night, whether it's one guy, two guys, three guys, a whole team, whatever it is, bring them back at the end of the night for, and I had a name for it, but it was like a, a survivor match where all the survivors come back and they battle it out over the top rope battle Royal type thing, leaving only one ultimate survivor, one sole survivor that turned into this fucking wild card match. And it was, it Bill Watts came up with it and it was like taking the survivors and they get on a, it just, you know, people will want to see adversaries team and what have you. It just didn't make sense to me, that's all. Uh it's an interesting concept though. Uh,
0: through the end of uh November and on into December, Sid's working with Razor, Ramon, putting Razor over in all those matches. They're intercontinental title matches, of course. And then let's get to In Your House Five. Why not? Seasons beatings. December seventeenth, Hershey PA. Razor and Marty Gennetti beat the one, two, three kid and Sid in twelve minutes and twenty two seconds. Gets a star and a quarter. And I found an interesting house show here, or I guess that's a dark match for a taping rather December 18th, Brett razor and undertaker beat Sid Yokozuna and Isaac Yankum. Now, of course, Isaac Yankum's going to go on to be Kane, but really process who all's in this match, Brett razor and undertaker on one side, Sid Yoko and Kane on the other. It's a lot of talent here, especially for business to be down. Is it not
1: sure as hell is. And, and I, yeah, some big monsters, and you can tell by that lineup who did the job in that match.
0: January 6th of 96, Sid's going to have his last match for several months, putting over Bob Holly on a house show. He says that the neck injury kept getting worse, and one day he and Bob Holly were in Albany working out, and all of a sudden, he couldn't do an arm curl. His arm wouldn't bend, and that's when he knew something was wrong. So he winds up going to one of the top medical clinics in the country, or so he says. They're one of the top guys, look at it, And tell him he can't wrestle again. He got a second opinion and they told him the same thing. So Sid called Vince and tells him he's done and he can't wrestle anymore. Um, what's Vince's reaction to this phone call here in January of 96.
1: What the fuck now going back, you know, let me say this about Sid and I'll throw Bob Holly in there because they always traveled together. Sid would wake up at three o'clock in the morning to go to the gym and train before his flight. So Jim, uh, Sid would wake up, he would train first thing in the morning before he would go and eat breakfast and get on a plane to the next town or before they would drive. As soon as he would get to the next town, he would work out again. Sid was a maniac. And I believe this is the same time timeframe, uh, but it was Bob Holly who actually told us, Hey, uh, Sid's got something going on and, and uh, it's really bothering him because he's not working out like he used to, and he's having some issues. So that's how we first heard out that there may even be, you know, something wrong with Sid, but Sid never told us until after the fact, long after the fact. And it was, it went from him working to, you know, getting this call saying, yeah, I can't wrestle anymore. Doctor says I'm done. And Vince says, well, wait a minute. You know, who says you're done? And let, let's get you to some experts. Let's get you to people who are the best in the field. So Vince went on to, you know, he wanted him to get checked out. I, I don't know that Sid was real receptive. I think Sid had almost accepted the fact that, well, these two doctors said I'm done, so I'm done. So there's a lot of frustration on our part.
0: So, Sid gets a job as a chemical salesman. What kind of chemicals? I mean, the jokes sort of write themselves, but I just wanted that long pregnant pause just to marinate for a minute. Sid got a job as a chemical salesman. He did that for about eight months. And one day when he gets home, his cousin tells him that Vince had been calling him since the day before. And that was surprising to Sid because he hadn't heard from him for like eight months. And he told his cousin, if Vince calls back, tell him I'm not here. But eventually, Sid is on the phone with someone. His call waiting beeps in. He clicks over, and it's Vince. And Vince tells Sid he needs a big favor from him. He need him to do a couple shots. And Sid asked where they were. And Vince said, well, they're tonight and tomorrow. And you've got about 40 minutes to make the flight. So Sid hangs up, and gets his stuff, and goes to the airport. And he wrestles Owen both nights, goes home and never hears back from Vince. Eventually Vince does call back and ask to do a few more random shots, which he did against Owen and bulldog in June and July, and then said, he told him he didn't want to come back. And this was done because Sid was used as the ultimate warriors replacement because warrior was leaving. Of course. In both Detroit and Pittsburgh, the ring announcer, Bill Dunn announced that warrior wasn't there because quote, he refuses to wrestle in a city like fill in the blank here, which basically turned warrior heel and buries him. They offer refunds and a few dozen do take those refund requests in both cities. And it is interesting that (laughs) Sid is looked at as the more reliable of the two. Um, Sid comes out I don't out.
1: know about that but he showed up he showed up <laughs> At least.
0: I mean, it's amazing to me though that okay warrior's out you're in um I mean he just god damn it warrior no showed who can I get to actually show up <sighs> Sid Sid comes after a huge pop chases the heels away uh and then he he beats Owen Hart in like forty one seconds with a power bomb same thing the next night in Pittsburgh was anybody else considered who's a, is that Vince's go to the first idea when this warrior thing happens? What do you remember?
1: All right. The whole idea at that, t- that time was the, that was the comic book, uh, debacle with ultimate warrior. And after he tried to hold us up on the comic book money and what have you, and demanded all this money from us. And then he didn't show up and then he says, Three days later, after not returning anybody's call, well, my dad's sick, or my dad died. Someone that he had reportedly not been close with uh, and been estranged from for for many, many years. So it was, a lot of it, is Warrior going to show up? And Vince was trying to do everything he could to get Warrior just to show up. Let's get him to show up, come to work, we'll talk about it, we'll work through this, and what have you. Uh, I'm sure that we probably looked at a lot of different people for that, but it was who's somebody that they would accept, be happy to see a surprise. Uh, Normally it would be a guy like, you know, Randy Savage and maybe we just didn't have a whole lot of choice. And Vince was like, what about Sid? And he doesn't have to do anything, but go out and deliver a, a power bomb to somebody. And that's it. They'll be happy. So that's how Sid came. And I'm pretty sure we had quite, quite a few different, whether it was Randy or whoever the hell else it was, just different people trying to see who we could get and where, because there was a lot of juggling going on.
0: Let's talk about, um, how the decision is made to bring him back full time. The July eighth Raw, it's announced that Sid will be replacing Warrior in the six-band main event for In Your House Nine International Incident. Uh Sid's teaming with Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson here. They're gonna take on Owen Hart, Yokozuna, and the British Bulldog. And when Sid does come back, he's just doing one minute matches on TV and house shows. And Melzer would say he's even more limited as a worker because he suffered a serious neck injury and is afraid of the warnings from his doctor to take any of these bumps. So he's just doing one minute matches. Uh, they do have this pay-per-view match, it's 24 minutes, 32 seconds. Unsurprisingly, it's three and three quarters of a match. And after that he's working with bulldog and Vader on a lot of the house shows. Talk me through how he gets the full-time gig here.
1: Well, he had come back and Vince looked at Vince has always viewed Sid as an attraction. Here this big bastard is. Look, nobody's going to pay money to see Sid have a have a great match with somebody. However, they'll pay money to see this big bastard kick somebody's ass and or get his ass kicked. Vince looked at him as a, as a great attraction. So he would limit, let's limit what he does to protect him from himself and from anybody else, but put him out on TV. So people are going to want to pay to see him in-house shows. And again, it was a different business at that time. You didn't have to have you, we didn't have five minute matches on television. You know, they were squash matches they would get over matches. So it wasn't like Sid had to do a whole lot. And people were used to that on TV when they get to the house shows, that's what they're going to get. And they, that's what they expect because that's what they've seen on TV. So he was looking at Sid as an attraction here and thinking that if we can get him over to a point, then by God, he's gonna draw some money for us.
0: Let's get to uh, SummerSlam 96. Sid's working with the British Bulldog here. Uh Sid gets the win, six minutes and twenty four seconds. And Meltzer would say this match was better than one would think, but still not a good match. Sid took a few bumps and protected Smith more than he did at the house shows. He gets one star. Uh Sid uses the choke slam as a finish here.
1: And this is really the show where everything changes. Is it not? Boy, it sure was, but not so much even on, on Sid's part, other than his reaction, which was a damn good and big reaction. But this was the SummerSlam of the infamous Sean Vader match that Vader was just off. He and Sean didn't gel. And we looked at that at that point, said, this isn't going to work going all the way to Royal Rumble that we had planned with Vader, eventually taking the championship in November to defending it in the Alamo dome against Sean. Uh, we had to change gears pretty damn quick.
0: They go to, uh, Sid and Vader actually wrestle each other at MSG on August 9th, they go to a double count out on August 24th, you guys are running in Toronto. And it's the same stadium that Vince ran in '86, where Hogan and Orndorff drew 69,000 fans. Well, this one here draws 21,000 fans. So you might hear that and say it's disappointing, but in August of '96, uh, that was good. I was going like, to say, <laughs> that's pretty damn encouraging. And Sid's getting big reactions here everywhere, uh, including where he pins Vader on this show. And the day before this. <coughs> He wins a tug of war against an elephant. Bruce, was this a working yeah. elephant?
1: Oh, no, no, it's a shooting elephant. I don't think this, el- this elephant was a hell of a shooter. He had, uh, quite the reputation. He had been over in Japan and he had beat all the shooting elephants over there. So now he was over in North America and just taking on all comers. And this was a shoot.
0: Hypothetically, can Jerry Briscoe hook that elephant?
1: If he wanted to hook me, he'd be hooked. I'll tell you that right now.
0: That's a shirt available now at com or box of gimmicks.com. Talk to me about the, uh, the backstage reaction to Sid sort of being switched out, when do the boys know that the program is really going from Vader to Sid, did they know that before? the buried alive in your house in October.
1: Yes. We, we knew then. Yes, definitely.
0: But when, I mean, the guys have to think this guy has questionable injuries. He quits. He failed the drug test. He quits in a huff. He goes to play softball. He's, you know, walking out over finishes, blah, blah, blah. And he's in the fucking world title. And I'm not,
1: but if he know, but the whole thing was, if he knows he's going to get the championship in November and he's going to a big payoff in January with Sean and a dome show, then we, we thought that, okay, he he's in this and he'll be in it. We weren't, honestly, we weren't looking long-term for Sid. Okay. Going to get what we can, when we can get it, because it may not be there tomorrow.
0: So talk to me about, um, his, his matches with Vader here, because he's pretty consistently getting wins. But interestingly enough, he loses a match on the 29th of September to Vader, it's a lumberjack match in Madison square garden. And it's actually Sid's first pinfall loss since returning to the WWF as a babyface. So it's a big deal that he's losing and he's losing, losing an MSG just a couple of months before you guys are back for survivor series. That seemed a little odd. If you know you're going with not going with Vader and you're going with Sid,
1: why would Vader go over? I think to put that doubt in people's mind more than anything. Okay. That Sean that you know Sean's going to beat him, and they're, that he's he's not going to win, and their their champion by God is is going to prevail. He's getting wins on TV.
0: He beat Hunter on September sixth in the Intercontinental Title Tournament on the sixteenth. Farouk would beat Sid by DQ in the tournament, so that would eliminate Sid. He would get wins, though, over Owen Hart and Goldust in October. Let's get to In Your House 11. It's Vader and Sid, the two guys who were, uh, I guess, taking turns in that top spot against Sid or against Sean. It gets three quarters of a star. Not their best match. Both of these guys have had better matches. Was Vader completely defeated by this point?
1: I think a lot of wind had come out of Leon's sales and he was very disappointed because he knew what the plans were. He knew that it was supposed to be him at survivor series, winning the championship and going on to face Sean at the Royal rumble. Um, he also knew that his performance is what made us change that. So he was, he was disappointed and he was a little bit defeated. And I think that he kind of defeated himself was very down in the dumps and, you didn't get, you know, you didn't have that badass Vader anymore. You had the guy that second guessed everything that he did.
0: The next night on Raw, Shawn Michaels beat Davey Boy by DQ when Owen Hart interfered and Sid made the save to set up a tag match later. And again, Sid and Shawn shook hands. Later in the show, Owen and Davey would take on Shawn and Sid, which Shawn Shawn accidentally super kicked Sid, who was then pinned. And after the match, Shawn and Sid finally go after it. Um, we know the story, Sean and Vader didn't really gel. What did Sean think about working with Sid in comparison?
1: Well, he knew that he would have a better match with Sid a, and he liked Sid. They, they got along outside of the ring and felt that they would have good chemistry inside of the ring and thought that a, the matches would be better and the promos would probably be better as well. Even though we we had Cornette on the Vader side, I don't think that anybody would have been able to touch the promos that Cornette had planned for the Alamo dome match coming out in a Santa Ana outfit and what have you. But, um, I think that there was just a comfort level there. Interesting.
0: Uh, to see how they get here. Sid and Vader are working in stretcher matches on house shows as we get to survivor series. And then once we're there, uh, it's November 17th, 1996 Madison square garden. If you haven't already, you need to go back and watch this. It's one of the guilty pleasures. One of my favorite shows of all time. and I can't really even explain why, uh, actually Tony Schiavone and I just did a watch along for this the other day on WHW Monday. So maybe fire that up and listen to us, but the main event, 20 minutes and two seconds in front of a super hot crowd that was ready for Sid and a pretty, pretty good match here. I think I liked it better than, than Meltzer did. He gave it three and three quarter stars. I think it's probably Sid's best match ever. Uh, Sean was a machine here and there is a finish where, uh, of course, Jose Lothario is second thing, Michaels, and has been off and on since WrestleMania 12 and Sid is going to pick up a camera from a cameraman and threaten to hit Sean, but instead turn and hit Jose and knock Jose off of the apron, down to the floor, feigning a heart attack, which Meltzer would be very critical of. And then Sean is going to turn his attention away from the match and do instead take care of his fallen mentor. And that's when Sid actually nails Sean with the camera. So everybody got some with that camera. Here comes the power bomb. And all of a sudden we have a new champion. What'd you think of the match? And what'd you think of the criticism of doing a quote unquote, fake heart attack angle.
1: We're entertainment. So yeah, I, I thought it worked and it was, it was all about the story of the relationship between Sean and Jose, the mentor. We we were trying to recreate Rocky, okay? And Rocky Three, and Clubber Lang and the manager going down and Rocky being more concerned for his manager. Um, That was the story, and that was what we were trying to focus on. The match itself, I thought I agree with you. It was probably the best match that Sid ever had, and that was due to Shawn Michaels making him look like a million bucks. But Sid was there for everything. And Sid got it. And that's where Sid was so damn good, he could prosper. Again, if you got the right opponent that can bump around for him and make him look like a monster. Sean made him look like a monster. And that's where Sid shined the most, and they definitely got that story across. I think that that was one of the first times that we ever used the camera too because we we brought the camera in, and it was an older camera, and it's like if we break it, we break it. But it was, it was our camera and it was something different. Oh my God. He used a camera and it was a working camera. You saw the shot and everything beforehand. So it was, I thought it was some pretty cool shit that we came up with to get through that whole thing. And it was a good story.
0: Whether it was factual or not. Um, Sean got a lot of criticism over the years for not wanting to quote unquote, do jobs and, and lose the belt. Any pushback here to losing the belt to Sid? zero, uh, Sid would say that agents were actually crying afterwards because they were so upset for Sean because the crowd had turned on Sean during the match. And if you watch the match and you're really looking at Sean's reaction, it does look like Sean's rattled a little bit by the fans booing him because he's supposed to be the white meat baby face and Sid's this big, nasty, evil heel but their fist bump and sit on the way to the ring. And anytime Sean gets ahead on offense, uh, they're booing the shit out of him. And Sean starts popping off to the crowd. Do you remember Sean being upset backstage about the reaction to this or any of the agents for that matter?
1: It's New York. it's <laughs> about all you got to say about that. They are some of the most passionate fans out there and they were shitting on Sean and he was pissed off about it. But I remember him kind of coming back, throwing his hands up in the air, like, huh, eh, it's New York. So I don't remember anybody being upset about it. I remember being like, God damn, this is our baby face and they're booing the shit out of him. However, you have to look at the, the bigger picture of the worldwide audience. And I don't think that the worldwide audience was booing him, but that was a good sign of things to come with Sean, as far as people hating him talk to
0: me a little bit about jr because jr very recently uh prior to this show rather had brought back fake razor and fake diesel and sort of turned heel on vince McMahon for firing my ass sassafras but in this match sid is supposed to be the heel and jr's really taking shots at him uh calling him an idiot when he grabbed the camera saying oh look at this last rights crap What's the, what's the angle here with JR supposedly being a heel, but dumping on the other heel, Sid, doesn't that seem counterintuitive?
1: No, I think JR is just telling a story and JR is just reiterating the heel in the match being Sid and no, nothing more than that. It's, it's a work. Uh, Sid has
0: gone on record as saying that house show business was way up when he was champ compared to when Sean was champ. Can you poke holes in that?
1: Yeah, it's just simply not true. Okay.
0: Uh, Sid says the agreement was when he won the title, he was going to keep the belt as long as he was drawing well.
1: No yeah. truth to that either. The idea for Sid to win the championship was to drop it to Sean in San Antonio. That goes all the way back to friggin' May, June in the summer when we had the dome booked for the Royal rumble and the story was with Vader. Sid got thrust into the story when Vader wasn't working and the idea never, ever, ever changed to him dropping that back to Sean in San Antonio. So there is, there is no truth to that at all. And as far as the house show business, the house show business pretty much remained the same. And it was only, I mean, what, what are we talking about here? Um, eight weeks. So it, it didn't No, It didn't increase four times. I wish it would have. I didn't say four times. I just said it was way up. Uh, the, the next night on raw
0: Sid beat Hunter by count out and, and a dark match that night, he pins Vader to retain the title. And right after this, you guys do a UK tour and he's defending the title against Steve Austin. Uh, where he loses by DQ and then he beats Farouk. Um, he beat Farouk in the main event and some of these shows as well. He's booed in all of these matches. Uh, which is interesting because you know, New York is always different, I suppose. But they sort of give the impression that Sid and Brett had a hotel room brawl after the London match, which may or may not be a little tongue in cheek because of the Sid and Arn thing. Let's get to the, in your house, 12 pay-per-view it's time which is clearly named after Vader, but Vader's not even on this show. December 15th, West Palm beach. Sid's going to retain the belt, beating Bret Hart in 17 minutes and three seconds, Sean is at ringside here. And, uh, he's firing shoot comments at Brett saying he's the most arrogant and obnoxious wrestler in the WWF and calling Sid the most expensive piece of luggage in the WWF, because if it wasn't for guys like him carrying Sid every night, he'd be a big zero. It's just pretty entertaining. Three stars in the match here. Both Brett and Sean in back to back months managed to get good matches out of Sid. What did you think about this in your house match with Brett and Sid? It's
1: probably Sid's second best match he ever had (laughs) with the previous month being with Sean. So it was putting him in a position where he looked like that monster heel and that monster champion. So that was exactly what we were trying to show that Sid's going to destroy anybody that is not his equal in size. So that when you get to the Royal rumble and Sean finally overcomes the beast, it's like, yeah, finally, yay, Sean, my little David. So I was trying to get to that David Goliath story.
0: Sid closes out in 1996, beating mankind on several house shows Now let's talk about the December 30th Raw. Sean and Brett are having a verbal confrontation and then Sid shows up and points out that he beat them both and asked for some competition. The lights go out and Undertaker's music comes on and he shows up. And as this is happening, Vader tries to attack the Undertaker, but Undertaker beats him up and then Taker and Sid go face to face. Um, January 97, Sid would wrestle Austin and Undertaker on several house shows as we get ready for the Royal rumble. And then on the January 6th, raw, while Sean is on commentary during a Brett Vader match, Sid comes out and gets a cameraman to take backstage. And then he power bombs Jose Lothario's son, Pete on a table. Sean runs to the back to help out. This is a a fun little bit. Was that actually his son or is this uh, somebody else?
1: That was actually his son, Lupito Robledo. And just kind of, again, you're, you're mixing in the reality. And the funny thing about it is. When we did that stare down and we had the bit between Undertaker and Sid, we knew we were going Taker and Sid for WrestleMania. Uh didn't know it was going to be for the championship at that time, but we knew we were going Taker Sid and to tease it kind of like we just talked about the 2004 Royal Rumble with Brock and Goldberg kind of having the brushes at Survivor Series and then at Royal Rumble it was the same idea here with undertaker and Sid just to kind of get that little brush up, see how people react to it and we'll build to the main match at WrestleMania. So let's talk about,
0: uh, this is something that everybody's wanted to hear about. And you may have even teased this before. So the payoff for this story was originally supposed to be, Vader, Sean at SummerSlam, and then the rematch at Survivor Series where Vader wins the belt. And then finally, the big return in January at Royal Rumble, Sean's hometown, San Antonio. Dome show, huge show, crowning moment for Shawn Michaels. The call at Audible now Sid's thrust into this spot. So they do this little skit on January 6th where they get some heat on the local legend, Jose Lothario and his son, when Sid power bombs the kid. And then they schedule a giant press conference in San Antonio. It's going to take place after the TV tapings in Hartford. Sid no shows the motherfucker.
1: What happened? Well, he overslept. And that was that was it. It was like, what's a big deal? It's a press conference. Well, we, we had done TV, and the next day, uh, myself, Vince, Sean, um, I think the marketing people were already there. But we all get on the plane at, in Hartford and looking around, and I'm saying, where the hell, Sid? There's no Sid. We're trying to find out. Were were you as Sid last night? It's like no, and couple of the boys were in the airport and I'm asking I'm going down the aisle asking anybody anybody seen Sid? No, nope, didn't see him, didn't see him. Very uncharacteristic for Sid. Well, we get on the plane, we're calling all the all the hotels in the area, no Sid. We all three get on the plane, myself, Vince and Sean, and we go down for this huge press conference, man. We had this square in downtown San Antonio, this beautiful Spanish square all rented out to make the announcement of Shawn Michaels you know, coming home and all this bullshit. He's going to face Psycho Sid and no world champion. And finally, uh, Vince gets a hold of him around noon, one o'clock, and he just was like, I, I guess I overslept. So Vince was pretty fucking pissed to, to say the very least. I mean, we had Antonio Pena from AAA and a lot of the AAA guys there. We, we made it work. But if you can imagine today, the champion, no showing a major press conference for a major pay-per-view it just wouldn't happen. And that was when Vince was kind of like, well, only a little while longer than it he's going to be in that position. And Bit the bullet and we moved on. But that was a major fuck up. And that was one that kind of stuck in Vince's craw for a while because Sean was, had been out. Sean stayed up all night long with Austin and they had been drinking all night. And Sean was, uh, showed up, had been drinking all night, pretty fucked up, got on the plane and he made it. But yet. <laughs> You know, Sid, the guy that doesn't go out and party, the guy that is, you know, Mr. Reliable, no shows and can't be found and just thinks it's okay to say, ah, I overslept. It was just a press conference. So that was again, one of those beginning of the ends in a lot of respects.
0: Well, let's talk about the Royal Rumble, January 19th, Alamo Dome, San Antonio. We covered this show in long form in the archives it's one of the more underrated shows we've ever done because there's lots of things we say on the show here, like what was Mill Masqueris' go-to line? No yeah. All that stuff came out of the ninety-seven Royal Rumble episode, which is available in the archives now, something to wrestle.com. They drew sixty thousand five hundred and twenty-five fans, which is really, really incredible. Forty eight thousand of those were paying over four hundred and eighty thousand dollars. So not a huge ticket price, but still that is at a lot of people, especially in January of 97 for any wrestling promotion, much less the WWF. Sean is successful here. He captures the WWF title for a second time, beating psycho Sid, who, uh, Dave Meltzer always referred to as cycle. Sid get it in 13 minutes and 49 seconds, two stars. Uh, I, I hear the rumor and innuendo is that Sean was very sick for this match. And as a result, this probably wasn't the performance that people hope for.
1: Yeah, but I don't think that you could have told that by watching the match. Yes, he was. He was very sick. He had the flu or whatever it was that he had, um, sick as shit all day long. But if you didn't know that and you watched that match, you would still say that, holy shit, they delivered, told a hell of a story, the audience, it was a home man it was that great feeling of the hometown audience man you're in the dome and they wanted their they wanted their guy to win. It was exactly the opposite of what we had in New York at the garden as far as their reaction to Sean and we knew we'd get that and well we hoped we'd get it <laughs> let's put it that way and we got it and Sid played his part and I thought it I thought it was a pretty damn good match especially on Sid's part.
0: Uh, let's talk about the, uh, the difference between the two matches survivor series, Royal rumble, which do you prefer?
1: The survivor series match was much better. I think the survivor series match was much better because of it was unexpected and I don't think that people thought Sid was going to win there. And so we had the element of surprise and I just think the match was better. Sean was healthier and, it was just, it was just a better match as far as big event and crowning a baby face, you know, you'd, you'd say the Royal rumble, but as far as match, as far as emotion, everything that you want in a good wrestling match, it was survivor series, MSG.
0: Let's talk about, um, the Napti convention. Sid says that he's here at this television convention with Vince and he's supposed to be there as one of their stars representing the WWF. And he says, while he's in the room with Vince alone, Vince tells him that he wants to drop the title back to Sean at the rumble. And Sid reminds Vince of, Hey, you told me that you'd keep it on me as long as I was drawing. Well, and Vince said something like, we're going to put it back on him in his hometown, but we'll get it back to you on raw. Well, that comes sooner than we maybe imagined.
1: Okay. Well, let me, okay. Hang on. I got to say this about that. First of all, I wasn't there in any meeting that Sid and Vince may have had at Natby. From day one, as I said before, Sid knew, Sean knew, everybody knew, and it was always the plan for Sid to drop the title to Sean in San Antonio. It was never, there there never was, if you're drawing, we're going to leave it on you. That was never, ever the case from our point of view. And talent was aware of that talent was aware of what we were going to do between survivor and the Royal rumble and what we were going to do at the Royal rumble. So that it just doesn't hold any water. In addition to that, the reason that we had to switch the title was because Sean lost his smile. So it it makes, it just, it doesn't hold water.
0: Right. Well, I'm not saying that, you know, the timing the circumstances, but perhaps he mentioned, yeah, I will get it back to you down the line, but maybe not the way they did. Uh, because, well, I guess I should say on the way there, uh, February 7th, 8th, and 9th, Sid and Brett are beating Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels. But when it comes to the February 13th Raw, Sid was supposed to wrestle Shawn for the title, but Shawn came out and did the whole Lost My Smile promo. So he forfeited the title. Had Sean not lost his smile on this Thursday, raw Thursday, special event. Would there have
1: been a title switch? No. Okay. Would have gone Sean and Brett.
0: Later that night, Austin would beat Sid by DQ when Brett would interfere. And I think this is one of the only times you see a Steve Austin Sid match on TV. Uh, we covered the final four for Patreon. If you'd like to, uh, watch that match with us, by all means, check it out. Patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle. Uh, the in your house final four pay-per-view is February 16th. Brett wins the final four battle Royal here. Uh, those last four guys in the original rumble are put back into the match here. Brett Austin, Vader undertaker. So Brett wins the vacant world title, but interestingly enough, the next night on raw Sid beats Brett to win the title after Austin hit Brett with a chair. Here comes the power bomb and we're done. So this is Sid's reign as the champion here. A second reign. Um, at this point, you know, when you talk about the night after final four, did you already know, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're putting him with taker and taker's going to go over at mania.
1: Yes. And here was the reasoning behind it. We'd just been through this with Sean and losing a smile. Sid, no shows, a major press conference as the champion. So there's not a lot of, obviously Sean's out, but Sid's not the most reliable guy. If we could just get him to WrestleMania, who's somebody that we have confidence in that we know is not going to hold us up for money, that is not going to be a pain in the ass about putting somebody over or going or coming to work. Okay. Okay. And that guy. Everybody came back to that one guy, the Undertaker. He had had the championship once before, but he never had a run with the championship. And Mark had come to us and said, "You know what? Um, I'll be that guy. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do it. But I, I'd like to have a run with it." And we're like, "Okay, let's see how it goes." But uh, yes, we felt that he was the best man for the job at that time. That's why, you know, we, we got to that title match and felt Sid with the championship, the heel with the champion and, and undertaker defeating a true heel versus defeating Brett or something like that. Um, which felt that was the best thing at the time. So it was, it was Sid was just that transitional champion again. Let me ask here.
0: Um, it's interesting to me that Sid winds up main eventing, not one, but two WrestleManias, and I know you weren't there for the first one, but it does feel like he was sort of the backup plan. And then I think a lot of us fans assumed, and even industry insiders, most people assumed Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, WrestleMania eight, that's the main event, and instead they don't go. With flair, they go with Sid, the younger, taller, more muscular, more of a Vince guy, so to speak fast forward here, five years and Sid's in another main event, and it's not technically the original plan. The original plan's supposed to be Brett and Sean. Sean pulls up lame. And again, Vince looks to see who do I have? And he goes to Sid again, is there a story to be
1: told there? No, because it was again, looking at your heels and trying to get the championship on a baby face and, and specifically Taker, who's the biggest heel that he can slay that he hasn't already slayed. And when you look at that and you look at it that way, Sid's really your only option. He had take her. done the matches with Vader. Vader had already been beaten. Sid was the next logical guy. Sid had just had the, uh, held the championship beating Sean. So that that's why he got that slot. And I don't know that it was one of, oh, he's my guy. I'm going to put him in the main event. You know, it's almost, as you said, it was almost an accident. Right place, right time, right position. Let's talk about, um, what you guys
0: are doing after Sid becomes world champion. You do a tour of, of Germany, and Sid successfully defends the title against Owen Hart, Mankind, and Triple H. And when you get back from the tour in early March, Sid's working with Brett in some steel cage matches on house shows. And when we fast forward to the 200th episode of Monday Night Raw, and that's where we start to th- see things really pick up. Between the undertaker and Sid. But the thing that everybody remembers the most is the March 17th. Raw where Sid beat Brett in a cage to retain the title. And Austin wanted Brett to win. So he would have a title match. And of course, undertaker wants Sid to win. So he keeps his title match. And at one point, Sid's about to get out, but Austin closes the door, not letting him out. Sid then power bombs Brett tries to climb out, but Austin climbs up and the two begin slugging it out until Hart recovered. Eventually Brett has almost climbed out and undertaker climbs up, gets him back in the ring, and then Brett superplexes set off the top rope, which is quite the visual and Austin hit undertaker with a chair. So Brett tries to go out the door, but undertaker recovers and tries to slam the cage door on his head. Although that's not really what happened, but it's what was supposed to happen. And while all this is going on, Sid recovers and climbs over the top for the win, just over just under 11 minutes. And what happens after the match is much more notable because this is where we start to see Bret Hart turn heel. He pushes Vince McMahon down, starts cursing on the mic. And even now this is one of the most memorable Raws of my entire fandom. Pretty big time moment here in WWF history. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Yes, and it was because I I don't know that even Brett really felt that what he did was a heel move at the time. Brett felt justified in that. Right. And so he felt that by him going off, his fans, his following were like, yeah, you're right, Brett. Fuck them, man. They fucked you. And in a way, we felt that as well, but also, man, you've got this frigging undercurrent of Stone Cold Steve Austin coming up, and it's like, holy shit. And those two were just killing it every single night. But when you go back and you point to one night, one moment for Brett, what was the turn? That was it. Right there. It was being that that whiny, pissed off, and and taking everything to heart. And it's a conspiracy. Woe is me. That can be pointed. Like you said, man, that was the night. That was the beginning of the turn.
0: WrestleMania 13 goes down six days later, the Rosemont horizon. We've covered this one in the archives. It's something to wrestle.com undertaker pins Sid in 21 minutes and 19 seconds. Uh, the match is what it is. It gets a star and a quarter. Um, we covered it in more detail in the archives, but I think the thing that everybody talks about the most is what we didn't see, but, uh, maybe what the undertaker smelled, uh, set the record straight here about the rumor and innuendo that old Sid took a poop with his pants on.
1: I, I still don't know. Uh, I, I haven't done my research to go in and, and sniff, uh, Sid's pants to see if he pooped them, but that was the rumor and innuendo that at some point in the match. That uh, Sid might have had an accident, a poopy accident in his pants. Uh, sorry, I can't confirm or deny that because I didn't say, Hey, Sid, you got any shit in your pants afterwards or anything like that. Huh? But don't know one way or the other. Well, where was Jim Cornette on Sid? <sighs> I think Corny w- was in the same place as all of us. He's a hell of an attraction, but motherfucking bell rings and he stinks. Literally. So you got to book him as that attraction. Uh, Corny didn't look to Sid to go out and have this great match. But again, that attraction is that attraction. People want to see him.
0: Um, why haven't we called the undertaker on speakerphone and you asked him if Sid shit his pants?
1: Well, cause chances of him answering are probably slim to none.
0: Oh, okay. Let's talk about what Meltzer wrote. Uh, he says in April this is right after us 2013 Meltzer would say that, uh, Sid's been working with a herniated disc in his back. That was caused by straining when he was working out in the gym. And he says the reason it was handled so clumsily on the April 7th raw is they literally didn't know about it as the show was going on and didn't know if he'd be there or not. Apparently Sid left a message at the office over the weekend, but since nobody was there and raw was taped on a Sunday night, nobody knew. And he didn't think to call the building to let anyone know he was hurt, but he finally talked to Vince later in the week. Meltzer would say no word on how long he'll be gone, but there's also a lot of skepticism, not just limited to skeptical wrestlers as to the legitimacy of this. And that some people seem to be following the Shawn Michaels lead. We don't know if Sid was going to have to put mankind over in their match. Although it would make sense. Given mankind was in the main event on the next pay-per-view. Sid was definitely supposed to put over Brett on the April 20th pay-per-view since Brett had put him over three times in a row. And now it was time for Brett to get the push. You can figure out the skepticism from there. A few weeks later, an MRI would reveal that he had a lower lumbar strain, not a herniated disc. Is this boy who cries wolf here? What's the feeling inside the office?
1: At this point, it's a lot of skepticism because again, Sid had everybody's number. He had Vince's home phone number. Uh, it, Vince isn't that hard to get in touch with. So everybody's got the booking sheets. You, you can let everybody know. So that's the, that's the part where the bullshit flags go up, and you just think, okay, um, Sid doesn't want to play anymore. And that that was the feeling. It, it just was... Damn it. Well, but also there was a feeling of relief that, well, we got WrestleMania out of it. We got the, we got everything on taker and, and we're moving forward. So that was the feeling, man. Here's what Sid says. Here's his side of the story.
0: He's working Brett, taking superplexes off the top of the cage on the house show loop nearly every night. And that's what wore his back out. He eventually has a conversation with Vince and tells him his back's so bad. He thinks he needs an epidural. Vince says they need him at raw. So go to the doctor and get a release. He said he didn't want to go to the doctor because if he does, they're going to want to require surgery and he doesn't want to do that. They demand, you can only come to the show and work when you get a release. So go get a release. His doctor was full. So he didn't make the appointment. Eventually the WWF intervenes, gets him an appointment. Because they tell the office they really need him in. Sid goes to the doctor and that doc says you need six to eight weeks off. Sid's on the record as saying he feels like his problems with the company really start during this time. And specifically because you and Jim Ross kept getting in his way and causing him
1: problems. Any rebuttal to that? Well, I'd like to know how we got in his way. Um, we weren't in any of his matches. We didn't hurt him. And. If a guy's hurt, the main thing that we wanted to do was make sure the guys were taken care of. Also, we had to take care of the company. So if you come in, it was a changing in times in general where you say you're hurt. Okay, we need you to get checked out by a doctor, find out what's wrong with you, find out what it is that you need to do to correct the problem. Once you do that, we also need a doctor to release you and say, yes, yes, This person is in good physical condition to be able to go out and compete and be a part of the show. Um, That's what we did. So if that is getting in his way, then, yeah, we got in his way. But we're taking care of the company. We're taking care of business because just the business was changing. Couldn't just take someone's word and say, yep, okay, I'm, I'm clear to go now. After you've told me and after you've got a doctor, say, no, you're not good. So it was, I think it was the first time that he was really being challenged on some of these things. And if that's the case, then that's the case. Let's talk
0: about right after WrestleMania, you guys were running commercials for a few weeks where you're promoting Brett versus Sid. Sid's not able to make the show and you guys put Steve Austin in his place. Were you still hopeful that somehow Sid would show up?
1: Yes. Okay. And, um, yeah, we really were. I think the Vince felt if we put him there and give him the opportunity, he's going to see it and he's going to come back.
0: Melts would happen. Melts would report in early June that Sid was supposed to return on the May 30th show in San Jose, but claimed he had the flu and wouldn't be back until June 28th. He says, I know what you're thinking. So is everyone else guess the softball team must have made the playoffs of something or something. It'll be real interesting to see number one, how large he is. If he really had a bad back in the flu, he'd be way down in muscle size, but why do I think he'll show up bigger than ever? And number two, how the company will use him if he shows up so large, because that'll be an indication that the back injury and flu couldn't have been all that bad. My feeling is they'll push him hard again. And a few months down the line, history will repeat itself. And if it does, and if any of you feel sorry for the WWF's bad luck, you should feel sorry for bad judgment of people who ignore the lessons, the past teach them. So Meltzer, not a big Sid fan, but you probably agree with
1: that, huh? You know what I do? And here's when it comes down to it. And sometimes is brilliant is a businessman that Vince McMahon is a lot of times he's guilty of leading with his heart and leading with his gut. He won't – he'll give guys the benefit of the doubt. When you're charged with writing television and you're charged with writing six weeks at a time or whatever, and you're charged with booking live events that go out months in advance, do you want to have a roster of guys that you can thoroughly count on and depend on that have a history of showing up to work on time, doing what they're asked to do, and not having – issues every couple of months or so? Yes, that's what you want. So from our vantage point, when I say our vantage point, from the television writing point, that's me, that's Cornette, that's Vince. That's a frustration. From JR's point of view, he's booking house shows. That's a frustration. Who do I have on my roster that's going to play this week? And if you have to second guess that all the time and wonder what's going to happen next week, it's frustrating as hell. So there was, um, there was a lot of doubt on our end is to anything that was coming out of Sid's mouth during that time. Well, he's back
0: June 2nd on raw undertakers doing an interview, trying to make sure everyone understood he was staying babyface while still being with Paul bear bear comes out and makes a comment about ruling the world, which brings out Sid who challenges undertaker to a match later in the show. And then undertaker beat him in under five minutes with a tombstone. Meltzer would would report when Sid showed up, they told him he was doing a job for undertaker. He didn't want to, and was given some threats as to his future employment and finally agreed to it. Do you remember him being hesitant to do a job after he shows up
1: after this long hiatus? I do. And he felt that he goes, well, you're bringing me back and I'm going to go out and, do a job tonight, what, what good will I be? Exactly. Um, <laughs> what good have you been for not showing up for all these, this last period of time? So at least let us get a win on television for the top guy and we'll see what happens from there. But yeah, he didn't understand why he was brought back to do a job and our, feeling was you're being brought back so that we can get something back on television. Cause we're really not sure what the future is, As he had given us every indication that he wasn't sure what his future was. So let's get what we can out of him. Now. King of the ring in Providence,
0: June of 97. Owen Hart, Jim Neidhart and Davy boy beat Sid and the Legion of doom in 13 minutes and 37 seconds. Gets a star in three quarters. Um, would report four WWF wrestlers were involved in an auto accident on late afternoon, June 15th, which left them all hospitalized, but as luck would turn out, none suffering serious injuries and all, but one checked themselves out of the hospital that night, the wrestlers involved were psycho, Sid, Doug furnace, Phil the and flash funk. The accident occurred on the way to Ottawa, where the four were scheduled to wrestle that night for Montreal, where the wrestlers were stationed after working the previous night in Toronto. Sid was driving a rented Lincoln Continental at a, the speed described as being around hundred miles an hour and was apparently adjusting the sunroof and the car went out of control, hit the shoulder of the road and rolled four times about a mile from the Ontario border on the way from Montreal to Ottawa near Quebec. The car was destroyed to the point of being unrecognizable and all four wrestlers were taken to a general hospital in an ambulance. The original fears were that Sid was badly injured in the accident, but as it turned out, he suffered some facial cuts and was suffering from a major headache from a concussion and experienced some numbness in his arms and legs as he apparently re-aggravated his bad back. Furness was most seriously injured, suffering a separated and broken shoulder and underwent surgery on the 17th in San Diego to find out the extent of the damage. Lafayne suffered a concussion and numerous cuts and bruises all over his body where they had to shave his head in the hospital to get a lot of the glass that was stuck in his forehead. The funk came out of it. The most unscathed, just shaken up. The incident wasn't acknowledged on television the next night and funk is expected to be back in action for house shows this weekend, but the rest will be out of action for a few weeks. And in the case of furnace likely longer than that, what do you remember about this car wreck and was there any heat on Sid from the guys for driving a hundred miles an hour and losing control?
1: I don't think there's any heat on him for driving so slow, but I think that the general consensus was thank God, you know, we were lucky, dodged a bullet that no one died in the damn thing. So it you know, that that's the unfortunate reality of being on the road as many days as talent is on the road, is that you, you have these things. That happened, guys are driving late at night, guys are going 100, 150 miles an hour, what have you, to get to the next town, and we knock on wood and say we're very fortunate that we haven't lost more guys in these horrible automobile accidents. So that was the first thing that went through our mind, just being thankful that nobody died and there wasn't any major, major injuries Um, furnace was the worst of the bunch, uh, with the broken shoulder, but that was something he could come back from.
0: Um, Sid says while he's in the hospital after the wreck that they thought he had a stroke. He said they took x-rays of everything except his neck. And after he got out of the hospital, he went to a neurologist and they took an x-ray of his neck and told him that his vertebrae was pinching against his spinal cord. And that was what was causing the numbness in the left side of his body. Is it true that Sid was supposed to be according to the original plan a part of that famous 10-man tag team match at Kil- Calgary Stampede but because of this wreck he was replaced by Golddust?
1: Yes, it is. He definitely was and and Golddust was the next guy on the list that made the most sense.
0: On July 14th, uh, we would see uh a lot happen on Raw but The big thing that we want to talk about is during the show backstage, Sid actually collapses and he says he's still numb on the left side of his body and couldn't even feel the brake pedal in his car. And that he almost wrecked on his way to the building that night. Sid says that Vince came over to him that night and asked if he was okay. And Sid said something like, no, I'm not fucking okay. I told Jim Cornette, I'm not okay. I told all your stooges. I'm not okay. You didn't get that fucking message. And Vince said, no, if I knew you were this sick, I would have never had you here. And Sid said that really pissed him off. The Meltzer report would be that he collapsed due to back problems and was rushed to the hospital. He says they never showed a close-up of him on TV and showed him in clothes because of the auto accident injuries. They're legit. And supposedly he had dropped a lot of weight and hadn't been able to weight train. It doesn't exactly look like Sid. And the belief right now is that his match with Vader is almost surely off SummerSlam hadn't been announced, but he thought Goldust dust, Pillman would be taken from the free for all and put on the main card in its place. And of course, Sid's last match in the WWF happened on June 14th in Toronto, where Owen Hart defeated him for the intercontinental title. Fast forward to August 4th and the observer Meltzer would right? That Sid's been officially fired. Quote, it's almost mind boggling that a star of this magnitude in this kind of wartime situation could be fired. But WWF officials apparently felt like they had no alternative, citing their inability to get any straight answers from him concerning his condition and injuries and when he'd be available. Under normal circumstances, WCW would try to bring in a guy with the illusion. It's another major jump, but Sid has a lot of heat with a lot of people in Atlanta, not to mention quite a track record in this industry. Chat me up. What led to Sid Sid being fired? What was the final straw? Well,
1: well, first of all, let's go back to the whole situation in San Antonio and him saying that he told everybody that he was not feeling well. He didn't tell anybody he wasn't feeling well until he got to the building. And upon that, Vince went in and say, hey, what's going on? How are you feeling? You know, he did that because we did tell him that. Okay. Hey, Sid says he's not doing well. So Vince went in to talk to Sid face-to-face. So that that part of it, because I remember specifically <laughs> saying, hey, man, Sid's not doing well. Vince, Well, let's go find out. So that part, you know, just, just not what it is. Um, but the, the overall, it was the culmination of everything. It was the culmination of I have the flu, but here's the date that I will be over the flu one month later. Um, I, I don't feel well and I've got numbness, but he only has numbness after he's told what he's going to do that night. He doesn't come in and call us or say, Hey, I have numbness and I don't feel well until after you're there and you kind of get a lay of the land. So I think that there was doubt. Uh, I don't think there was doubt there was doubt and there just wasn't enough confidence left to say, although he's an attraction in a damn good attraction, it's not worth not knowing what the hell you have. And all of a sudden you've got a roster of guys that are busting their ass every night, jockeying for position. Do you need this extra aggravation? That's why the decision was made. Sid,
0: um, does, schedule a surgery where they're going to take bone from his hip to fuse his neck. Meltzer would say the surgery would have kept him out of action. Another three months. Had he not been fired? He's contesting his termination and has hired a lawyer and threatened to sue the company for breach of contact. And he's told friends that he thinks because of the legal threat that the WWF now wants him back, but he doesn't want to go back. And Meltzer would say, based on what he hears, WCW would be interested in him, but only on a per show deal and not a long-term guaranteed deal because of his track record. And then only if people like Aaron Anderson approve of him coming in the next week, Meltzer would say the situation with Sid is he wasn't immediately fired. There was some sort of clause in his contract, about $400,000 per year guaranteed, which may have been an injury clause that the WBF felt they had the right to cancel it. He was then offered a new deal, which was a nightly deal, which basically had he worked a complete schedule, he would have earned in the same $400,000 range something along the lines of 2000 or 2,500 per shot, and maybe more for pay-per-views, which he turned down feeling like his existing contract shouldn't have been canceled. At that point he was fired and threatening legal action back. Do you remember this, uh, contract situation?
1: Well, the contract clearly did call that we could let him go for cause and, there was a clause in the contract that if he was unable to perform, you could actually stop the contract and extend it for the amount of time that the the talent is out, if you wish and you desire. So the thing was, well, let's restructure. He gets paid when he works. Maybe that, maybe then he'll want to come to work. But if he's getting paid, and it, it wasn't being paid on a weekly basis, he was still getting paid what he earned. However, he if he didn't make whatever amount of money his contract was for, then he would get that lump sum at the end. That was a downside guarantee. So when you take that away and you are put in a situation where, yeah, we'll pay you when you come to work, but we're not going to guarantee you anything anymore because we don't have the confidence that you're going to show up to work. That's what that was. And that's why that happened. But um, no, he didn't take it.
0: did Vince consider bringing him back or how long was Vince really washing his hands of did you think did, did this feel like a break or did this feel like a real the end
1: you know they they always feel like uh this is the end and then you're surprised <laughs> 6 months later when he says what about Sid um so those of us skeptics that had been around for a long time we just were waiting for the next what about Sid? Um, so I don't know. I think that Vince was pretty damn frustrated and Vince had confidence in the crew that we did have that they were going to more than fill that gap.
0: It's sort of interesting because Sid's not done after this, he does make a brief stop in ECW and, uh, of course he had tremendous success in WCW on that second run there where he even becomes world champion. Um, but I think what people most remember him about in WCW is that January, 2001 sin pay-per-view where it's a four corner match against Jeff Jarrett and, uh, Scott Steiner, and then a fourth mystery opponent, which will be road warrior animal. He's on the second turnbuckle jumps off attempting to kick uh, Scott Steiner. And he awkwardly lands on one foot while kicking with the other, which severely fractured the leg he landed on he breaks the damn thing in half snapping both the tibia and the fibula which uh allegedly may or may not have had one of the bones puncture the skin so it's just on another level of bad and sid puts all the heat on johnny laurinitis for doing that saying that he wasn't comfortable doing it but johnny said it was already written in so do it hypothetically you weren't there what would that have sounded like
1: hey sid I got an idea. How about you go to the second turnbuckle? Not asking you to go to the top turnbuckle. Just the second one. Jump off. and kicks Scott Steiner in the fucking head. You're so goddamn vascular. Not as vascular as Vince, though. Need any oil on your back, buddy? My goodness. I'll do it.
0: He rehabs his leg for like three years. A dozen, uh, doesn't, a shot for PCO. And, um, then he pops up on raw years later, 2012, uh, he makes his return to the WWE, as psycho Sid where they're, uh, they're building up the thousandth episode of raw and he destroys Heath Slater as a part of that. And that's his first appearance on raw since July 14th, 1997. And his first match on raw since June 9th of 97. So. A long time. Uh, he does pop up again on the actual thousandth episode on July 23rd, where he and other WWE legends help Lita beat Slater. And then on August 5th, 2017, looks like he's going to wrestle the last match of his career for great North wrestling in Ontario, where he defeated Paul Rosenberg. Chat me up. What do you think Sid's legacy in the wrestling business will be?
1: Well, I think that, uh, Sid's destined to be a hall of famer. He's one of those unique talents that no matter what people will always remember. He had a tremendous look. He cut a great promo and people remember him. He was, he was a top guy for the majority of his career and the viewing audience they, they don't know. They don't know about softball Sid. They don't know about all the other issues that you have to deal with behind the scenes. So they don't know that Sid. They just know the big monster psycho Sid or the big monster Sid Vicious that they saw on television. So I do think that his career and the things that he's done and to be able to get to that point in his career, that he's going to be hall of fame bound and as you look at everything that, that Sid has done in his career, I, I believe that that time during the time that he was working with Sean and all that stuff leading up to WrestleMania 13, I think that that's going to be probably the brightest spot in his career. I think that was during the time he had some of his best matches as well as some of his best promos as well. So, um, you know, we, we had issues with Sid behind the scenes. However, when you want to just sit and talk and bullshit with somebody about the business, Sid was great to do that. And I like Sid. Um, he was, he's a unique guy, very intense. And what you see is what you get. But I always at least appreciated his dedication to training. Um, and you just have, you know, you have to deal with what's in front of you and who's in front of you at the time. So we dealt with psycho Sid.
0: Well, we did deal with him and now we're going to let you guys deal with him. We, we took the to social media and said, Hey, got a question about Sid, leave him here. If you haven't already go follow us at Pritchard show on Twitter, uh, where you can ask questions for next week's episode right now. What are we covering next week here on something to wrestle on February 1st? Gorilla monsoon, or as Jeff Jones put it in the poll, gorilla Monsoon." Uh, I hope that he's a, a a father soon rather than a mom soon, but either way, give everybody a, a sample. What might we be talking about next week when we cover gorilla mom soon?
1: Well, we're going to go back, obviously, into 1987 when I first met Gorilla and what Gorilla's part was in a lot of that controversial Houston wrestling debacle early on in 1987 that led to the breakup between the WWF and Houston wrestling, but plus the man behind the microphone, uh, Gino Morella, who was a great family man, great father, and a hell of a good friend, but... Geno's will go back, and I I do know the history of from Monsoon working to actually becoming an owner in the old WWWF and how much Vince used Monsoon and counted on him for his new venture, the WWF, and how he used Monsoon to go into different territories and and help find talent for him. So um, a broad career, one of my favorite people in the entire world, uh, Bob Morella. Love him, love him to death. And, um, that'll be a tough one to get through too, but Hey, it's a lot of great memories with gorilla.
0: Let's get to some questions here at Pritchard's show. Uh, Brad wants to know any truth to a story. Kevin Nash told on one of his shoots that Sid opted out of a baby face push as Hogan's handpicked predecessor, including an angle where Hogan would have passed down his wrestling boots to Sid because Sid thought he'd be more effective as a heel.
1: I don't know about the, the boots, but yes, that Sid did. Sid wanted to be a heel, didn't want to be a babyface, Thought there was more money in him as a heel and did not, didn't like the babyface stuff.
0: Mr. Ooh, la la wants to know, is Sid the best bad wrestler of all time? Meaning is he the wrestler who got over the best with the least amount of talent?
1: Absolutely not. Who was warrior? Ah, I you not say that.
0: Uh, Steve wants to know, what position did Sid play in softball?
1: I don't know. Uh, I I actually have absolutely no idea. I've never spoken to him about softball in any way, shape, or form.
0: DRL wants to know, had Sid not broken his leg in WCW, would he have been loud back in the WWE, or would he have been Jeff
1: Jarretted? Well, Jeff Jarrett came back, so... I don't know what you mean. So are you saying that, uh, Sid would be back in the hall of fame? Look, anybody can come back at any time. So never say never. So you think Sid would have come back?
0: Cause Jeff Jarrett did not come back. You're talking about hall of fame. We're talking about in ring. Would Sid, when WCW goes down, let's call it late Oh one, early Oh two. Do you think Sid would have popped up in the WWF?
1: It could have happened. It wouldn't let me put it this way. It wouldn't shock me if it did happen.
0: Brave Dirty Hawk wants to know what was Bruce's reaction to seeing Sid's leg break?
1: Fucking gross. And I I didn't see it live, but I went back and replayed it over and over and it was gross as shit.
0: Not Hawk Harrelson wants to know how did Sid and Harvey Whippleman get along?
1: Well, that's interesting. I've heard a lot of different stories from Harvey himself that said that Sid used to treat him really, really bad. Um, well, in fairness, was, though,
0: Bruno says that you treated him really, really bad. I don't know that Bruno's well, ever said anybody treated him very, very well.
1: Well, that's true too. So again, Sid got him his job in the WWF way back when as the manager for Big Bully Busick, but they had a falling out, and I don't know. Um, I don't know if they've reconciled or not. But the rumor and innuendo was that. Uh, Bruno went, ran and did all the errands for Sid and that never was appreciated very much.
0: Klondike wants to know, in Bruce's opinion, does he believe that Sid truly only has half the brain of Kevin Nash?
1: <laughs> you know, Sid's got a pretty good head. I mean, he really and truly does. I just wish he if he directed it, to other people and, and to be able to create things for other people. I think that he would actually do a pretty good job in that regard.
0: Um, Patrick wants to know how good was Sid at rock, paper, scissors,
1: um, rock. Okay. Uh,
0: JW, this is from an interview that I believe Sid did with Sean Mooney last year. He believed when he walked into an arena one night it was a house show, and it was actually WrestleMania 8, meaning he wasn't he didn't know he made a vent of WrestleMania. He thought it was a house show.
1: Well, there you go. yeah, I, I don't even know what the fuck to say to that) <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Who was a
0: better softball player? Macho man, Sid, or Jerry Lawler?
1: I'd go Lawler.
0: Sean wants to know, instead of starting a football league, why didn't Vince start a softball league? He already had all these ringers on the roster. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> uh, Taylor wants to know, do you think Sid will actually get into the Hall of Fame, the WWE Hall of Fame, anytime soon?
1: Yeah, I do. I really do. I think Sid will be in there within the next five years.
0: Ruben wants to know, was Vince hot at Sid over botching the promo live on in your house, the free show?
1: Not that I remember. It it was, it was more of just an embarrassing thing for him. It was something to, to razz him about going forward, but I don't know. Vince was pissed off about it. Shit happens live TV. It was meant to happen.
0: Greg wants to know. Was the intent always to turn Sid heel on Hogan from the start? I know you weren't there, but do you think that was always the plan or did plans
1: change, pal? I think plans changed. I think in Vince's head that Vince saw Sid as, you know, that big, that next big baby face. And Sid didn't want to do it. Sid wanted to be a heel. He's a heel, motherfucker.
0: A lot of questions here asking, do you think it's fair that so many people make the softball joke about Sid?"
1: Yes, I do. I mean, it, it's, there's so many times that he opted for softball over wrestling that. Um, yeah, I guess it is fair. Craig wants, I to don't know. think it's unfair.
0: Craig wants to know what was Sid like to deal with behind the scenes? Was it easier to deal with the first run or the second run?
1: Well, I tell you, when he came in as the bodyguard for Sean, he was great to deal with. Through through that WrestleMania 11 and even into the, the summer with Diesel, he was absolutely wonderful to deal with. And then you know, whatever changes and, and I, either he gets unhappy and feels he's not being used the way he wants to be used and, and develops an attitude, but that, that time. So I guess that would be the second run since I wasn't there for the first run. Um, in the beginning he was, he was fine to deal with. And, and even during the WrestleMania 13 period with, uh, Undertaker and from the Sean deal on the exception of not showing up for the press conference yeah he was fine
0: jim wants to know how do you think sid would have fared in 98 99 the attitude era had he stuck around
1: i think that he would have done pretty damn well because he had the gift to gab and i think we could have protected him where he wouldn't have had to do a lot physically and for whatever reason i think every time you put that son of a bitch in front of a live audience they respond to him so i think he would have done well uh
0: Evor Hardwick says, After listening to the Primetime Mooney episode with Sid, which was absolutely great, throughout the entire interview they pretty much covered his entire run and he was constantly a top star. One question continued popping into my head throughout that entire episode How big's Batista's dick? Bruce, you're supposed to answer here. Yeah, well, I'm not going to answer that shit. Oh, so you know now. You've told us before you didn't know. You got pictures? You got evidence now? What are we dealing with
1: here? I don't understand y'all's fascination
0: with men's dicks. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you talking about y'all's fat I'm reading fucking Will you continue bro. to ask a question? You obviously want to know. Uh, the fans demand it. I'm, I'm okay. doing, I'm standing up for
1: the fans. Okay. I don't understand the fans' obsession with someone's dick.
0: Show me with your hands what you think. Oh, okay. Uh, Joe wants to know who did Sid ride with besides furnace Lafon and, uh, flash funk. And was there ever any talk about him having a tag team run in the WWF
1: at all? Uh, Sid traveled with Bob Holly. Cause they loved to train together. And I think that if there ever was talk of doing a tag team, I know Sid would have loved to have tagged with Bob Holly and vice versa.
0: Did you ever think that Sid looks like the illegitimate child of John Gruden and the Incredible Hulk? (laughs) Could be. Yeah. Pretty fun stuff here. Uh, There's tons of questions here that, uh, that are really relating to softball. And I got to say as, as a bit of a self-confessed Sid Mark, it does sort of, I don't know hurt my feelings a little, that that's really his legacy. I don't know that that's necessarily fair because as a fan, before I knew all of that, I,
1: I really enjoyed what he did. Uh, well, okay, but that's 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 the point I was making earlier. I think that for the, the audience member at home that didn't read all that other bullshit, I think that they looked at Sid and they looked at that time as he, man, the guy had the look and he was an over monster.
0: I know you don't, you weren't there. So there's only so much that she can answer, but, but lots of people want to know about the WrestleMania eight finish. Uh, Taylor says, what's the story with Hogan and Sid at mania eight? Was Sid not supposed to kick out. I've heard a lot of rumors about this. And I have, I have no idea. Gary Lee wants to know what the hell happened at the end of WrestleMania eight. Allegedly Papa Shango was late coming to the ring. He was supposed to have been there sooner, but. He missed his cue. Nobody told him to go, whatever. So he's late coming out. And instead of having the entrance they planned for, they have to just call an audible, but he's behind. That's the rumor and innuendo. Did you ever hear about that?
1: Uh, No, I never heard about that. I I never did. And I've never, never heard that actually until recently. And the first time I ever heard it was when we were in the UK together in December. So, um, I think that's just one of those urban myths that somebody came up with one day, kind of like that wasn't really the ultimate warrior that ran out at WrestleMania. Eight. It was an imposter and all that bullshit. Um, I just think it's an urban myth, but I don't know. I wasn't there. A lot of people want to know why
0: Sid wore the body glove, elbow pad, which nobody really did. And the vest, is that something that, uh wwe put together i mean obviously he rocked some of that stuff before uh did he have to get any of that approved through creative services or was there even a discussion about sid's look
1: yeah there was no discussion about it i know early on with the the uh turquoise tights i know that was a look that vince liked and and had him in originally but no there was he wore the vest that's what he wore Tommy wants to know, had
0: Sid not left before the ninety-six rumble, what were the plans for him at WrestleMania twelve?
1: Uh, good God, WrestleMania twelve was Anaheim. I I don't know that there really were any. Uh again, we had Taker and undertake. I mean uh, Taker and Diesel set Brett, I can't recall. I have no idea if there were even were plans for Sid during that. You know, we've talked about guys who
0: are really unfairly categorized. And I think Sid's one of those, because I think when you think about the big moments in Sid's career or the most memorable moments, rather that maybe that's the better phrasing, we sort of land on bad stuff. Chat me up here. What are you, um, what are like your handful of most memorable Sid moments?
1: Well, uh, first and foremost was probably taking the camera in Madison Square Garden and hitting Jose and, and Sean because that was the first time that we had done anything like that. From there, you go back to right after WrestleMania 11 and the power bombs on Sean, I thought, were some of the best Sid stuff that I'd ever seen because you got to see that vicious, just maniacal asshole in the ring. And those are... When you asked me right off the top of my head, those are the two that stick out to me.
0: Well, I'm a Sid Mark and, uh, I'm going to try to post some, some of my favorite Sid memories through our social media this weekend. Uh, Instagram is uh, Pritchard show. Twitter is Pritchard show. Of course on Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle. There is a tremendous promo right before uh, WrestleMania eight, which we, we mentioned earlier. And I think maybe the best one he ever did. Not a lot of people talk about, which was the morning of the Royal Rumble or the weekend of the Royal Rumble, 1997, before he defended the title against Shawn Michaels. So we'll try to get those up and uh, hopefully we get a lot of questions from you guys about next week, Gorilla Monsoon. And we also revealed last week that uh, we're going to be covering a pretty big show on February 15th uh, that I'm pretty fired up about. It's going to be all about the night eddie guerrero won the world title on the eighth which is the two weeks from now i guess uh, we're going to cover the 20 year anniversary of the saint valentine's day massacre so there's your next three shows and what we're going to be covering and saint valentine's day massacre was uh was a big show for the wwf literally because a big show (laughs) the big show debuted um, of course that's a steel cage match main event with stone cold, Steve Austin and Mr. McMahon, a last man standing match before that with mankind and the rock, uh, China and Kane are going to team up against triple H and X-Pac. Can't believe that's a real thing. Val Venus is going to take on Ken Shamrock. Jeff Jarrett, and Owen Hart are going to take on D-Lo and Mark Henry. Boss is going to wrestle Midian. Bob Holly is going to wrestle Al snow and gold dust. going to wrestle blue dust. Our old pal, the blue mini. Uh so stay tuned. Next week, Gorilla Momsoon. The week after that, St. Valentine's Day Massacre, and then on the 15th, No Way Out 2004. And uh don't forget, man, San Diego, Phoenix this weekend. Come see us. And Atlanta's gonna sell out. If you're in Atlanta, don't wait, don't put this off. Tickets are gonna move fast. Brucepritchard.com is where you can pick up all those tickets. And Bruce when I look at the clock, it feels like it's uh,
1: about that time. It's Shakacon time. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> Those Weekend Golf Guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.